gentlemen, here we are. It's uh, 2016, and uh, you're listening to the Godzilla Pod War Hour still. And uh, for those of you who have stuck around, <laughs> we're going to talk about Cloverfield now. Woo! Um, ah. With me as always, Nathan Bear. Sir, an honor as always to have you uh, at my side. And then uh, coming back, Dominic Griffin, third time on the show. I think that is... The charm. Third time's the charm. Yeah, that is an all-time uh, record. The, I broke a record here? You broke a record. You've, yeah. you've never had someone host three times. This is amazing. You and Chris Bacon have both hosted it twice. twice. Gussie twice. Gussie's done twice. But I think this is the first time... Kara Palermo's done it twice. twice. Uh, for King I'm Kong, beating Kara at something. This is new. I know. Uh, this is different. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Uh, I feel honored. Uh, and, I, you, and you should. And I hope uh, yeah, we're, no, we're you doing should. you a favor. I, I yeah. hope that, <laughs> exactly. exactly. I, I hope that uh, in a year's time... Do- uh, Dominic, earn this. <laughs> earn this. In a year's time, I hope I can... Uh, Reenact the five timers club sketch for <laughs> SNL, and I hope to be the Steve Martin role. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know, maybe Ian can come back as as, as the in the uh, the Tom Hanks part of that of that sketch. Of that sketch, yeah. But uh, no, I love hanging out with you guys. This is great. I'm excited. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what else was uh, exciting? Cloverfield. Nice. Was, um, that was a good segue. You yeah. guys are. <laughs> Veterans. You know, it's yeah. not our first rodeo. No. <laughs> you know, I think this is episode 46 or some shit. <laughs> I stopped keeping did, track. Exactly. We it's sort like, of remember you know, little bits like that and use them for future episodes. That's a good one, though. I, we, I was all these impressed. words we have to say, keep saying these words, and I know what you're saying. How we know which words to say. It's because someone's written them down for us. <laughs> okay. Yeah, our uh, our uh, head writer, Oral Gold. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, um... Cloverfield is better than most Godzilla movies. Sorry. I cried watching yeah. this. Now, I don't know if that's... I hadn't seen... I saw it in 2008, and I didn't cry then, but I think that speaks more to where I am emotionally <laughs> now in 2016. But damn it, if this movie isn't effective! I, I'm, I'm going to agree with you. I did not see it in 2008 because I was still uh, reeling from King Kong. Yeah. Right? You know? You can hear more about that in our previous episode. You've been, um, been burned enough. I've been burned it, enough. It, it, it just, had been three years. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't. I'm like, oh no, that that dude from Lost thinks he can make a monster movie. No, never. Why? You know, it, I, I didn't want to be hurt again. Right. Uh, so I, you know, watched uh, other movies that year, like Juno and The Orphanage. I am one of the few people I know who will go to bat as saying that I, Juno was probably the best movie in 2008. No. Oh. It was very good. I don't want to interrupt the Juno Love Fest, but I'm going to go on record as saying that Cloverfield is about 14 times the movie Juno is. All right. Hey, no problem. If listening wants to fight me about it, uh, we'll put a link to my address in the post. (laughs) Because. And we will film this. This It's been the match. It's been nearly 10 years, people. Grow up. Um, But, but, But look. Now I have in a, 2016, a big problem with that, but we got to for time, for the sake for of time, time we got to keep things moving along. But now in 2016, I personally feel like I can enjoy this as a movie. And since we've done so much analysis of uh, Godzilla and other monster films to this point, I appreciate this for the really good story structure it has. The characters that I actually care about, I actually want to see follow. 
Um, you know, not ones that want to wait at ground zero for their man to show up with, you know, three monsters and, uh, uh, and, uh, sort of characters for the most part, either reacting logically or maybe acting crazy in a way that you can understand because of the heightened emotional state that they're in. Yeah. And this almost is like the closest film I've seen that mirrors the original Godzilla you know, when we've reviewed a lot Everything of real, yeah, that I can think of, lo- you know, <laughs> but of all of these, this is the closest because this is, uh, you know, basically a domestic drama that just is mildly inconvenienced by a giant monster, just right. like the first one. And I've said it over and over and over again: the mo- the best monster films are where the monsters are more interesting, or excuse me, are as equally interesting as the people, right? You know. Uh, if it's too much one way or the other, uh, it doesn't work. This is just you know, beautiful. Really good story structure. I mean, this could work as like a pulp novel from the 50s. You know, I could imagine like it would be from the 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 point... In that case, it would be like from the point of view of like a DOD like person, like reviewing the footage, you know. And, and also the fact that it mixes two genres, the found footage genre and the kaiju genre, and blends them flawlessly. Absolutely. Just, you know, enriching. And it's it's crazy how well this movie delivers on a on a kaiju film, like as as far as what you want out of one of those movies. Mm-hmm. And and this movie gives you that. It gives you the the scenes with like the military assault and all the destruction and stuff. But and yes, okay, it's not as protracted and there's not as much of it as there is in a in a Godzilla a traditional Godzilla yeah. film but it's i'd say more effective or you feel it more because of the way that Matt Reeves uh has decided to film it which is as you said the found footage format and like it, it doesn't have to be as long because if it's like if you're standing right next to the thing, that's enough for yeah. you to like be your mind to you know be destroyed and like you know be terrified and like be into it. Like that's you know it's 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 quality over quantity. Um, so I wanted to say that it was directed by Matt Reeves who is actually a really cool director and has been doing a lot of stuff sort of under the radar. He's like, since Cloverfield, uh, he's been doing what I would categorize as consistently excellent stuff. I can't say his entire career has been consistently excellent because he co-wrote Under Siege to Dark Territory. And you know when Katherine Heigl is the least annoying part of your movie, you've got problems. But, uh, you know, since this film, he's done Let Me In, which is the American remake of Let the Right One In, which I think some people would say is actually better than Let the Right One In. Um, And then he's done the Planet of the Apes sequel to the one with James Franco. I won't even bother with the titles because that's a quagmire. It's the one (laughs) with Rise of the Planet of the Planet of the Apes. Prior to this was Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. See, this is what I'm talking about. I and then the one no that's idea. coming up next is War. War of. of the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Yeah, Matt Reeves is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
And written by uh, Drew Goddard, who did um, Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, directed Cabin in the Woods, co-wrote that film. Uh, Academy Award nominee Drew Goddard. Yes, he is up for an Oscar now for having written uh, The Martian or adapting it mm-hmm. uh, for best adapted screenplay. He also used to write for uh, Buffy spinoff Angel. He's a writer mm-hmm. on Lost. Uh, he oh also wrote uh, the um, pilot for the Netflix Daredevil show. Oh, he was a, he yeah, was that's a, good. a good show. Yeah, Drew Goddard's pretty dope. Uh, and of course, J.J. Abrams uh, is the executive producer of this. Um, it's got his fingerprints all over it. The whole yeah. This is sort of like the what like the the vanishing point, I guess, of the the mystery box approach to marketing that J.J. has mm-hmm. successfully uh, utilized since. Uh, also on the you know he put out that Star Wars movie a few months ago, right? Oh uh, yeah, that, that, I'm not thing. familiar with that project. Yeah, I mean, they had this. They had these Star Wars movies back like. When like our parents were kids, and yeah. they uh, they made new ones. He he did like the first new one, and it, it, people didn't really dig it. All I know about Star Wars, there's a character named Zuckus and Forloom, and apparently they're like bounty hunters, and they're like a tag team of bounty hunters. But that's really all I can tell you uh, about that. But uh, Abrams, yes, he he directed uh, Mission Impossible Three, and when he was in Japan promoting Mission Impossible Three, he went into a toy store. And he looked around. He was there with his son, so it's not weird. And uh, <laughs> he uh, he looked he looked around, and he saw that there was still a shitload of Godzilla toys, and like all over the place. And he's like, you know, this movie came out. You know, he was probably not fully aware of the you know that there were still new Godzilla movies coming out until recently at that point. Mm-hmm. But you know, he was still amazed at how popular. And how vibrant uh, a, a figure Godzilla was in the Japanese culture in 2006. So, like, he saw that and, you know, his exact words were, you know, we needed our own American monster and not like King Kong. I love King Kong. King Kong is adorable. And this is a direct quote. And Godzilla is a charming monster. Not sure if I agree with that. We love Godzilla, but I wanted something that was insane and intense. And this kind of parallels um, the making. This making of this film kind of parallels the making of the original Godzilla because it was the producer Tomiyuki Tanaka who pushed the project and then hired a director, right. special effects supervisor, actors, all that stuff um, to get it in motion. Yes. Um, so this, you know, J.J. Abrams not directing, however, you know, a, you know, a prime catalyst in its creation. Yes. And you can say he, you know, they all succeeded. And making a monster that was, you know, intense and and, and all that uh, didn't sell any fucking Cloverfield toys. No. Uh, so, mm. huge failure there. I've never seen a Cloverfield toy any fucking where. I haven't seen a Cloverfield Funko. I haven't seen any Cloverfield lunchboxes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. somewhere along the line, they got their priorities uh, mixed up, but... Yeah. Intense, intensity, sure, yeah. yeah. No, no, Dom, you're making a series of... of amazing points here yeah. uh lost opportunity you know as far as making like a really well made and effectively executed film absolutely 100% succeeded in that but as far as selling little plastic trinkets for man children they it's fucked a, up it's they a, it's fucked a, it's up. a pretty important <laughs> element of 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 uh Creating a dirty cultural icon. And filmmakers are still making this mistake. Yeah, there was James no, Cameron about yeah. that. You're, you're, you're well, buying the Avatar. Or yeah. the Danish girl. There were no like. There was not there like was a no series tie in with tie-in. Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> to sell Danishes with the Danish girl. <laughs> 
someone. She's a redhead. Exactly. Strawberry Danish. Exactly. It's right there. No, it was. You're right, Nathan. It was right there. Um, also, right there for much of the film um, is you know sort of the, uh, the the elephant in the room, which is. This is a film, it was made, okay, it came out on January 18th in 2008, and I think a lot of this film is sort of, in a way, grappling with the imagery we saw on September 11th, or the people who were actually just in New York and experienced it, and in Washington, D.C., yeah. and, and this was the first, I think, big movie, because there was this, we don't really, I mean, I don't know if people are fully aware of this now, but there was, after 9-11, there was sort of this... Uh, it was like, okay, New York's off limits. And that's like, you can't blow up New York in a movie for a while. And yeah, was there was like, a taboo. Absolutely. Even like uh, Oliver Stone's, like uh, the Two Towers movie. World Trade Center. World Trade Center. Yeah, oh, it was God. garbage. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there was like, uh, apparently that film, uh, Donnie Darko, was like pulled from theaters or like many people didn't see it because yeah. it involved yeah. just a crashing airplane. Yeah. So, one uh, of the many reasons not to yeah. watch Donnie Darko. That's <laughs> uh, a solid flick. I'm so, sorry. <laughs> flawless soundtrack on Donnie <laughs> But, but the, um, there, the yeah, visual... there was a taboo yeah, yeah. of imagery, people not wanting to push that. Right. Um, and Cloverfield is just like, fuck you. Like, we're, this is, we're gonna dive head in to, yeah. to, to this imagery, and you've got the people covered in dust, mm-hmm. you've got. The whole you know, the chaos, smoke the coming smoke. down uh, yeah. si- uh, streets, um, and you know it takes that took some serious balls to just be like, no, we're gonna we're gonna at least attempt to try and and I don't know. Look, I don't want to be like this. This was the intent was to process the trauma of nine eleven no. via this. No, but it's definitely in there. Because I don't think it was, but it's, it's absolutely it's well, unmissable. Parallel. Godzilla 1954, right. same thing. It's like, this is a way to process hurt right. and uh, the fact that we really don't know what the future is going to be. Remember, uh, 2007, 2008, still knee-deep in Iraq and Afghanistan um, yes. with no end in sight. Uh, very paranoid time. Very yeah. very frightening time. And I, and part, part of the what makes this movie work so well is that it so perfectly taps into that feeling that there was and it's it hasn't really alleviated that much that t- shit could go crazy at any time yeah and that and that's sort of why you know the first 30 minutes of this movie or 20 minutes things are fine and then it's it's it really does play out like the end of some other movie and then all this stuff with the monster starts happening i, I don't know what we we'll call it uh the Cloverfield Clo- monster. Clo- Clover monster, monster is a bit non-elegant, but whatever the thing starts happening, and all of a sudden, all of that is dropped and shit. Like this is what's important, and you know yeah. that it's, that, it's like that fear was there. It's like that was at a the real time emotion. too, because you know, like you're saying, there weren't a lot of films that were depicting 9/11-esque. Um, destruction of major metropolitan areas uh, and then you know in the years that have passed since this every movie has yes yeah. it's got to have a good 20 minutes at the end of a city being destroyed um, it's 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 creepy that we I mean 
I remember when I first saw Cloverfield, it wasn't right at release, maybe a few months after that, and I don't really remember my first viewing of it very well. Uh, I wasn't crazy about it at the time. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. Um, but I remember thinking about that at the time. I remember thinking about the how, you know, you you look at New York and the fact the first thing that comes to mind is, is 9-11, you know. And um, watching it more recently, you know, to prepare for this podcast, uh, I was struck by how not at all bothered I was by any of those things that I know at least stuck out a little bit when I first saw the film. Mm. And it wasn't because I'd seen it before. It's because, uh, in retrospect, I'm like, this damage is, like, pretty contained. Like, this is the first thing I thought of was, like, I mean, they got this monster boxed in a little bit. He's only on certain blocks. Uh, you know... He seems to be really just around Midtown. Yeah, compare this to, like, any other movie you watch that involves... I mean, there's less destruction in the entirety of Cloverfield than there is in, like, the trailer for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice <laughs> of extra footage from the end of Man of Steel. You B- know what I mean? Yeah. BVS DOJ. BVS DOJ. Which is what we call it. Coming soon to theaters, um, for whatever reason. Uh, and I felt that watching it again, like, more recently, I was, I mean, you know, it's still harrowing, it's still... Engaging, it still really captures you in those moments. Uh, you know, uh, much of that through the found footage, you know, uh, uh, gimmick, so to speak. But it doesn't. It, I, I was. I remember thinking to myself, like, "Am I just? Did I just not give a shit about people anymore?" But like, it, it really. Ten less than ten years have passed, and a movie that at the time must have been really difficult for people to process. At least that element of it, it's just like, oh, yeah, I mean, there's a monster fucking the city again. We do that, right? It's a thing that happens. I mean, you know, minus the benefit of someone in a cape uh, showing up to right. fix it or whatever. You know, it's it's very, um, very I mean, interesting. we, you know, as time goes on, we grow numb to these things. We, you know, I mean, that's just what happens, you know? Well, I don't think it's, it's just, I don't think it's just us as a society growing numb to the destruction. I think it's just that... More and more major films are being released, mm-hmm. our blockbuster-type films, and more and more of those movies have to have, just by nature of their, their accepted structure, a giant scene of shit getting fucked up. And a, mm. and a blue beam of light going up to the sky yeah, in the middle of you, New York. You know, <laughs> so, like, it is... You get, I mean, every... Uh, every, every, literally every... Every movie. damn movie. I remember yeah. watching Deadpool last week or the week before, whenever it was, and thinking, like... Oh well, I mean that's pretty contained amount of of stuff still blowing up and, and, yeah, and right. stuff. But that's but, but it's, it's not like that's it's, nice. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's they're at a garbage place. dump. Basically, I'm really thinking like, like that's a good place to have one yeah. of those. Back in the old days, movies would end in you know like a a right, warehouse, right. yeah, maybe a, uh, one of those great you know well, uh, spark and chain factories, well, like in uh, like in Hard Boiled, yeah, or any know. David Hasselhoff music video. I mean. Yeah. Movies starring Sylvester Stallone and Bruce Willis now all end in warehouses or places that look like decommissioned blocks. And that's the Chechnya. best. That's the <laughs> best way to end. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just it's contained. You're you got it's a favor by destroying it. You, you got know? room just for get, coverage. Tear it down exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it, the opposite is like what? Where's the national monument we haven't fucking murdered yet? You know, yeah. like there's like a list. Like, oh no, I can't do Golden Gate Bridge. That was this movie. You know, yeah. Like, well, I mean, Golden Gate Bridge is getting fucked up a lot. However, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's not forget, in the 50s, especially the Ray Harryhausen films, had no problem destroying many a monument. In fact, I'm th- pretty sure the, the Ur- thing Ur- from under the sea, or no, it came from under the sea, Golden Gate Bridge? Yeah, I've, I've never seen 
it, it it came from beneath the sea. That's the uh, that's the octopus one, right? Yeah, even though it only had six tentacles. I haven't so seen that one. I know Earth versus the flying saucers. That the flying saucers, blah, flying saucers, bullseye the Washington Monument, yeah. which then falls down onto the National Mall, and it does destroy Union Station. Mm. Um, presumably before the Taco Bell went into the food court. <laughs> but again, yeah. again though, thinking about, I mean, God, you know, in the nineties you had Independence Day, you know, which we're about to take the sequel to, and those images of the White House being obliterated yeah. by a space cannon, right. they were powerful and they looked realistic. But like that didn't ever, that, that's not something that's ever had. We never had aliens come and kill everyone or whatever, you know. So right. like the the specific type of destruction you see in Cloverfield in these later films blatantly mirrors some shit that like really happened to us as a nation and everyone remembers it you know and it's very different and it's just strange that uh i mean obviously it's not one of cloverfield's like principal themes or anything um but you're right that the fact that unlike many disaster movies or many movies where there's people and then a monster shows up or there's people and then things blow up the characters in cloverfield are portrayed as so Realistic isn't necessarily the right word, but it's very naturalistic. You, you know believe I mean? yeah. it. It yeah. really isn't. It, you know, usually you watch a movie and the the setups of these characters are always so bullshit that you can't wait for someone to kill them all or for yeah. something yeah. to explode. You're like, oh, I cannot wait for this random nurse and this person. You know, like right. yeah. they're, when it, like when you're watching the first few minutes of Cloverfield, you find yourself, or at least I did, starting to like. You know, identify with these characters and care about them so much that you okay, you know shit's gonna get real bad. But you get sidetracked yeah. a little. You get sidetracked, yeah. and that I think that caring about the characters informs the sort of sense of dread yeah. and the amount that's like they're all sort of doomed. And it's like, yeah, you know, fuck, realistically, you maybe know? Yeah. maybe at best the two prettiest ones will live just by yeah. the nature of movie making. Yeah, you right. know, but um, but this gives us like no hope. You you don't you can't really. Trust, yeah. uh, anything. <laughs> well, con- right. contrast. That I mean, to... for, I mean, the opening shot, which we'll get into, you know, is not done by uh, the principal, I guess, photographer of this film or narrator of the film. Yeah, it opens you know, up it with that immediate. With that. Yeah, it plays yeah. It very well. Well, well yeah, I mean, the, so, the title. We're sort of skipping ahead, but like the opening title, of like when they say the area known. As Central Park. Yeah. It's like, oh, like, you know right there, something happened of such a scale that Central Park has been wiped out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like a part of a grid system now because apparently New York is unrecognizable rubble. So it's like, you know that just from that one sentence. Yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant storytelling. But, you know, I mean, contrast that to... I I was thinking about this this morning, you know, the, um, the newest Godzilla film... Uh, the one with Brian Cranston, yeah, in yeah. it for an entirely too short amount of time. You know, some of the some of the way the movie is put together is a little bit reminiscent of Cloverfield in the way it obscures the monster mm-hmm. and really kind of makes you work to get to those kaiju thrills. You know, but the 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 characters it sets up before all the cool monster stuff happens, like I don't give a shit about any of those yeah. people <laughs> and they, at all. Yep, and they have they're, traits they're, that like they don't pay off. They're just blatantly fodder. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, you just don't care about them in any way. Um, and in here, yeah, the characters are, like, a little... In my head, I always remember the characters in Cloverfields being kind of, like, like watching the How I Met Your Mother pilot and then a monster shows up. <laughs> and that's how I remember the movie. Uh-huh. But rewatching it, it's like, no, these they're pretty well drawn. They're efficient, you know, little... They're not the most multidimensional, necessarily, but they feel lived yeah. in. I, I, their I performers think, yeah, are the, admirable. The, the difference is, like, yeah, they're just sort of... You know, there's a there's the uh, the tension and the, the sort of the love story going on between Robert and 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 Beth, 
and you know that they're sort of involved with themselves and and that's a lot of the focus of the early stuff and really throughout the film but like you've got like they succeed in what they try to do every time like every time tj miller tries to say something funny it's always like hilarious which seems like an easy like oh yeah he's the comedy it's like but that's so rare in movies where yeah, it's like the it's funny guy is actually, actually funny. funny. And it's not just actually funny, it's that they managed to make what is actually a very tightly structured, what, 85-minute movie or whatever, yeah. um, not feel like it's, you know, like you're going to beat, to beat, to beat. Like it feels very lived in and almost improvisational. I mean, obviously you know, yeah. it's not improvisational yeah. because the dialogue is a little bit too clever. Um, but they, they ape that naturalism well enough to where you kind of feel comfortable as just oh i'm watching these folks and man i really hope rob figures out what's going on with bath or whatever before he goes to japan like you you kind of yeah you right. actually give a shit i always in my head i always thought the from memory you know first viewing of the film that that bit was like a six or seven minute stretch and then monsters came it's a good 20 minute chunk yeah, yeah. Of, of the party and everything and uh, you know by the time that shit hit the fan i remember thinking like how much longer till shit hits the fan and not in a way of like Oh, I'm sick of this. I want to see some stuff blow up more. Wow, I didn't realize that we got to spend this kind of time with these people. I just didn't yeah. remember that, you know. And at the same time, it, it like there, it doesn't feel like there's any fat. It feels very lean. Like mm-hmm. exactly 30 minutes in is when Rob decides, I got to say Beth. Like so, story structure wise, this is yeah, like just tight. yeah. Robert McKee definitely, definitely has ejaculated in this film before. You yeah. know what I mean? And um, <laughs> that's that's the mark of a true. True drama. Yeah. And if you use voiceover, God help you! <laughs> man versus horse. You do not know <laughs> crap about life. Watch Adaptation, everybody. It's a great film. It's, great. it's an incredible film. I want to try to copy the best. Better than Amelisa. <laughs> yep. Um, I still have your copy, although, Ryan Cantor, if you're listening. <laughs> Anomalisa is a really good movie, but it's not nearly as good as Adaptation. Anyways, um, really quickly wanted to run down... Uh, the the cast we've got Michael Stahl David as Robert Rod Hawkins and I thought he was great in this uh, you know not the most layered performance ever but he's got a few tasks but as, as we said before he gets them done and it's yeah. efficient and you know he's supposed to be that every man going to yeah, he's a great neutral mask yeah, yeah he's not someone you got to like think about too hard right right um, Odette Yostman. Uh, who is I learned was not Megan Fox, uh, plays Elizabeth Beth McIntyre. And uh, she, you know, uh, it's almost... Solid. No, no, she's great in it, yeah. but it's almost like you feel... You feel almost like Rod's been tricked. Like, all these... Look, so many terrible things happen to these people because, like, gotta save Beth. And it's like, yeah, she's fine. But you almost feel, like, angry at her because of, like, shit. I mean, Lizzie Kaplan fucking head explodes, all right? I'm sorry. Anyways, T.J. Miller. Look, okay, so Beth McIntyre, she's fine. Uh, (laughs) T.J. Miller, who... T.J. Miller, who uh, is the one person, to, to my knowledge, who has... Who has died during a um, Michael Bay let's run from the explosion scene in the fourth Transformers film? Uh, they have the scene where not Shia LaBeouf and not Megan Fox are running from the explosion, and TJ Miller is there too, also running from the explosion, but he's like 20 feet behind the two leads, and he, the explosion catches up to him, and he actually gets killed in it. It's like, it's Michael, yeah, it's something, I think I've actually talked about that happening on the show before, so you know my feelings on that, but 
you know, just for being different, he gets points there. <laughs> and he's he's excellent in uh, Deadpool right now, where they clearly is one of those situations where they just let the camera roll and just let him improvise on Ryan Reynolds' grotesque face. Um, and so, yes, T.J. Miller does a great job in this. And I also want to point out that he um, is like... You see him for like 30 seconds in like the beginning of the party scene, but then you don't see his face again for 45 minutes of the movie, which is like, that's a crazy thing for an actor to be like, okay, you're just going to be like your feet and like occasionally like your hand and then like your, you know, your voice. Well, I mean, which is why I think T.J. Miller is a good, a good choice for that role, mm-hmm. not just for comic relief and not just to be kind of like the funny quirky guy in the group or whatever, but um, he has a, I don't want to say he has a soothing voice because that sounds fucking weird. But uh, he does. Um, you, you, I don't. I don't he think has like weird. a palatable voice. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like he's he's he does good voiceover work when he when he has jobs like that. And he uh, there's not a lot of other I think performers who could have done what he does in this movie with just his voice. You know what I mean? Because it, it is a really it's one thing to do really good voice work in a movie where like everyone is a cartoon and everyone's doing voice work. But in a movie where everyone else is running and visually doing these things with their faces right. and stuff, and you're just the guy behind the camera going, ah, ah, oh my god. <laughs> like, it's not a whole lot to work with, but he does, he does some good work with it. Um, Jessica Lucas as Lily Ford. Uh, she plays the really the person who gets the plot going. She's the one who threw the party. And uh, her uh, betrothed, Jason Hawkins, is... is uh, Rob's brother. Rob's brother. So she's she's unofficially a member of the family, mm. as, as she says. And she's amazing in this, and I, she should be in many other things. Yeah, she's she in not really, enough movies. Not if enough If you look stuff, at her guys, IMDb page, it's like, what? That's all? Yeah. Casting directors out there, you need to look her up and give her some work. She's rock solid in this. Do it. Um, and then Lizzie Kaplan, who is Marlena, and her last name is Diamond, which I think was a, the right choice to never say that out loud. Yeah, it would have made it sound very fake. Um, it sound like okay. a '60s like a singer, like the Lost Member of the Supremes or something. Rod may have said he may have said it out loud at the end when he's listing off all the people who has been killed in his stupid pursuit of Beth. But like, oh wait, I, I think, you're right. I think he yeah, actually does. Marlena yeah. Diamond, but, but that's where really we're quick. so emotional. Like everything's yeah, exploding, and, hollowed out. You know, yeah, I was crying. That's not fake. I, that was actually happening. Uh, but Lizzie Kaplan. Uh, is great, and she's got a dry thing, and she provides a lot of uh, comic relief in this, and she's really one of the only characters who reacts, I think, in a reasonable way, or tries to, uh, when when the shit is really hitting the fan, um, and she's on Masters of Sex now, and I think she's naked in almost every episode. Um, so there's that's just additional info there. Uh, Mike Vogel as Jason Hawkins... Now, if you remember, Hawkins was the name of the guy from Predator who was reading the Sergeant Rock comic book and not important <laughs> information. What about Jim Hawkins Black. from Treasure Island? Jim Hawkins had a math teacher named Mr. Hawkins, so it all comes full circle. Oh, he played Dale Barbie on Under the Dome. If you've watched, still does. If you've watched Under the Dome. I think it's on season four. I'm almost positive now? that show has ended. It's got to be over by now. How oh. long can you keep the fucking dome up? I mean, I've watched four episodes. Oh, of the one where they took the concept from the Simpsons movie. Uh, well, no. no. Look, 
Stephen, Stephen King book. King book. Stephen oh. King. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh. This is going to get weird for okay. a second, but <laughs> Stephen King began writing a manuscript that he referred to as The Cannibals uh-huh. in the mid-70s. Uh-huh. He wrote about 700 pages of it, and he realized that he had no way of ending the book, so mm-hmm. he just put it in a drawer for like 25 years. And then he took it, and I was like, well, I guess I'll give it another go. And he started reworking it, and that became Under the Dome. Oh. So I'm also a pretty big Stephen King fan. So anyways... Uh, yes, it's not, that was a coincidence. Okay. <laughs> the Simpsons movie came out at the same time. Uh-huh. But anyways, don't watch Under the Dome with Mike Vogel <laughs> not as a Dale good Barbie. Show. Not a good show. As, uh, as Barbie uh, on that show, main character. But again, do not watch it. Uh, there was a shooting schedule of roughly 39 days. They shot in Los Angeles mostly, and then they did some unit stuff uh, in New York City. Um, the budget of $25 million and to date has grossed over $170 million. So not a bad, not a bad take. A decent um, amount of bank. Um, I do want to address the one thing that like, it seems a lot of people talk sort of kind of flock to when they are talking about Cloverfield, which is the shaky cam thing, which I, I think have the good fortune that I have never experienced that. I'm also, and this may be connected, I'm really good at magic eye, like defocusing your eyes and seeing the, yeah. the, the hidden image. So maybe those two things are connected. But again, I've been fortunate enough and I don't really experience migraines either. Um, well, I remember so, AMC, and uh, the, the theater closest to me at the time, um, had like signs. And mind you, I did not see the movie at that time, but there were signs like all over the lobby saying like, uh, you may get motion sick. And the people I knew back then who did see the movie said like, yeah, I had to leave the film, um, cause I was feeling queasy. So that was like, that, that was a significant, uh, that had an, excuse me, that had a significant effect on people. Uh, watching it on Amazon didn't have a problem. Maybe I'm just used to it. Right. Um, but you know, definitely, like that was. Like, I don't think it's as intrusive effect. as people tend to make it out to be. Yeah, I think it makes sense for the movie, and I think it. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I can't fault yeah. someone for yeah. getting motion sick or whatever, but yeah. it didn't affect me either. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I would love to fault people for getting motion sickness, <laughs> but it's involuntary, so it's <laughs> they have no not. Control. It's not really something you can complain about people complaining about. It's like if you have experienced that watching this movie, I'm sorry that that has happened. Um, try watching it on a TV, I guess, now, and maybe a give it a yeah. second look. <laughs> give it a second chance. Watch it while driving. It's, uh... You know? I think it'd be an interesting experiment to put this up, the entire movie, back up on YouTube and click the, like, steady cam uh, option oh. to, like, straighten it out or whatever. <laughs> like, take the shaky cam off of it mm. see what the hell that looks like. I don't know. Probably nightmarish. Well, they tried yeah. that with uh, Star Trek. Yeah, they did it with they the did, Star Trek. Yeah. was as... As we mentioned on the uh, the Atragon episode with Jack Kapler, we there we viewed that uh, where they took all of the uh, yeah. all of the Shatner Spock. and, and Spock uh, leaning in unison, and it is that's a good laugh there. Um, Jonathan Brank, indeed, Fat Riker. Uh, but yes, saw Cloverfield. It's one of the last movies I saw in Michigan before moving to the state that I live in now, and uh, so that had a big impact on me and. Uh, you know, uh, solid film. Great to come back to it. Matt Reeves, Cloverfield. 
Let's do this. All right, hey guys, uh, this is Mike in the studio here. I know this is normally the part of the show where we play, uh, you know, the trailer or some piece of music uh, from Cloverfield, and there really is only one piece of music for Cloverfield, and that is uh, Michael Giacchino's Roar. We're going to play that at the end of the episode, and as far as just playing the audio for the trailer... You know, it's just a modern trailer with just a lot of loud noises and sort of disconnected dialogue. So I don't know if that would have the the impact or the effect uh, that, you know, we'd normally have. So we're going to kind of bypass that and use this little break in the action to get a little uh, business out of the way. First of all, uh, the main thing I wanted to say is that uh, since the recording of this episode, we have actually confirmed that we are going to be playing... Uh, another film uh, at uh, E Street Cinema in Washington, D.C., the capital of this uh, great country. Uh, and that is going to be on April 1st and 2nd at 1130 uh, p.m. And that film will be none other than 1961's Mothra, directed by Shiro Honda. So uh, if you want to see Mothra on the big screen... Now is your chance. Get your tickets, and it's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, Nate and myself will be back in hosting capacity, and uh, definitely want to go and check it out. Um, now, to be clear, it's not going to be like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type thing where we're doing like sort of a running commentary over the movie. Essentially, what it's going to be is more like uh, half an hour of, of pre-show stuff ahead of time, you know, maybe some trivia, f some games, play some trailers, and wh whatever crazy stuff we can find uh, that's uh, Mothra-based. Uh, so it's going to be a, a lot of fun. Again, that's April 1st and 2nd, uh, and uh, that's at E Street Cinema in Washington, D.C. It's going to be a groovy time. For those of you who came out to see us uh, for Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, thanks a lot. And uh, your support and everything is what made this second screening possible, so do appreciate that big time. Uh, and then, okay, also just wanted to say, at the end of this episode, the Cloverfield episode, we do play uh, Michael Giacchino's uh, Roar in its entirety and that track is 12 minutes long so uh just wanted to let you know that ahead of time it's it's 12 minutes of music that's the longest single piece of music we've ever played uh on the show so once it starts playing uh you know that that's that explains why it's 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 so long uh but again it's the only piece of music written for the movie so you know why not go for it it's america bigger is better anyways uh thank you for listening and uh now back to our regularly scheduled uh, podcast uh thank you now for the plot and we're back uh and we're back <laughs> um so as we alluded to earlier uh Cloverfield the movie doesn't open straight up with the, the actual footage of the found footage element of the story. It opens up with uh, a disclaimer explaining, putting in the context of the footage that you're about to watch. Um, and uh, it's that specific phrase that Mike used earlier that I think makes it, it so like foreboding and cool is um, that you know this is tape is footage found from 
the area formerly known as Central Park, which right off the bat you're like, oh shit, <laughs> like formerly known as Central Park, and that could be one of two things. It can mean that they rebranded Central Park for some weird reason, or for Bud Light, yeah. <laughs> Currently known as Bud Light Park. Which um, <laughs> I can totally it say that. Currently known as uh, Carl's Jr. presents. Carl's Jr. Park. Carl's Jr. Park. Jimmy Jones Park. Jimmy oh. Jones Park. Arby's Park. But uh, obviously, uh, because Arby's it's Park. redacted military. Right. You know, letter type. It's it's letting you know that like some shit has gone down. The area formerly known as as Central Park, and so yeah, again that that uh, the foreboding and that sense of doom and that sense of like shit. You know, <laughs> something terrible is going to happen here. Um, and then uh, yeah, it, it dives right into some uh, sort of the morning after uh, we can sort of put together a coitus has taken place between a young man who is filming uh, Central Park. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the, the title says Central Park, or, you know, formerly known, and then we get a nice shot of walking through an apartment into a giant, you know, uh, mosaic uh, window going into Central Park. So, like, it immediately reminds us of what Central Park looks like. Yeah. Very smart. And uh, kind of, you're, you're, in the, you're in the eyes of, uh, you're seeing this through the eyes of Rod Hawkins, our main character, Michael uh, Stahl David, and uh, we learn that he is has slept with uh, a young woman uh, who we come to know is, is Beth McIntyre. Beth and McIntyre, not Megan Fox. Not who is not again. This is Odette Yostman, not Megan Fox. Although I can understand why um, you would. It's sort of weird that like Megan Fox has replaced. Uh, Fucking the new girl, jo- Zoe Dachanel, and Zoe Dachanel looks exactly like Lizzie Kaplan. So it's like there's, there's something weird. There's some cross rip since the it's the anyways. The, the, something's happening there. I'm on to something. Anyways, um, a wrinkle in color. There's time. A wrinkle in, in color time. They're they're mirrors. They're opposite. It's like poetry, guys. This is terrible. <laughs> this is high quality podcasting going on. Right. This is all important information. <clears throat> so they fucked. And <laughs> they, they fucked, and then um, they, you know, they, there's some shot reverse shot with them like each holding the camera, and so we get to kind of which feels pretty organic. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like very blatantly. So that we can see what both characters look like. Yeah. But in the scene, it feels pretty natural. You know, that yeah, it's like, right. oh, he's going to hand her the camera yeah. and we can see the main character now. Yeah. yeah. Um, it also sets up the uh, structure of the rest of the movie, which is the tape that we're seeing in that moment is tape that the main character, Rob, has filmed himself like on just owning this camcorder. Because yeah. it jump cuts from that, this moment with them... To, uh, they talk about going to see Coney Island because she's never been. Mm-hmm. And then it's them walking on the street and he's like, oh, I don't know how to work this thing. And, like, it's a, it's a simple little line, but it lets you know that, like, that's why there's all these awkward jump cuts in the tape. And he doesn't right. know what he's yeah. doing. He's just sort of filming these little moments with this girl. You don't know, fully know what their relationship is other than there's some, some intimacy there. Uh, and then it jumps again to what I guess you could say is the main thrust of the movie. Uh, which is uh, May twenty second. May twenty second. Uh, some which, year, yeah. I think. Yeah. And it's Jason uh, with 
Lily? Yes. Yes, Jason and Lily. Yeah. Because Jason has, I guess, without knowing, is using the tape that was already in the camera. Well, yeah. The, and the, he the, doesn't know there was The conceit is that uh, now Rob is going away. His brother Jason's girlfriend Lily is throwing this going away party. And she wants uh, someone to document the whole night and sort of like take testimonials from everybody. And make a thing they can edit together to give to Rob. Sort of to show... Hey, all your friends love you. We really wish you all this new job you're taking in Japan. Um, and she, Lily's trying to get his brother Jason to, you know, to be the one to, to do the right. taping. And Jason seems like a bit of an idiot and doesn't really want anything to do with it. They argue a little bit. They're like that cute couple that love yeah. each other, but they fight. And uh, Jason pawns this off onto HUD, HUD their friend, TJ Miller's character. Um, who also wants nothing to do with his task until he's told that uh, a girl named Marlene is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Later we'll see his play with Lizzie Kaplan, who it's very obvious HUD has some sort of a crush on. Mm-hmm. So now with uh, that goal for his character, HUD's like, fuck it, I'll film whatever, I'll do it. And he takes it relatively seriously and obviously... With the help of uh, some sake. <laughs> yeah. Now what's interesting here too is that, uh, it, you know, no one, because this is Rob's camcorder they're using, none of them realize that there's a tape in the camcorder already. Yeah. And that anything on that tape could even matter to Rob. So yeah. every time there's a stutter or a stop or something in the story, the what we see in the middle is what they're taping over, right. which is this flashback to Rob and Beth in, in better times. Right. Which is real because um, that's the, the issue with mini DV tape. Uh, yeah. When I was in television production in high school, our teacher, Nancy... Uh, insisted we always use fresh tape every time we did a project. You know, always fresh tape because that was an issue. You know, um, not only stuff getting taped over, but also like could bleed through the bleeding through. But like I and I just want to say, J.J. Abrams talks a little bit about this in, in some of the documentaries. Uh, you know, stuff that I found on, on the movie. They wanted to really use okay when you make the choice. All right, we're doing a kaiju movie, but it's going to be found footage. All right, what are the limitations? And let's turn those limitations, you know, those challenges, and let's make that work for us. And because you have this, you can't do something like a flashback, but this. This this device they've set up of it's a great conceit. Uh, yeah. Not only does it work perfectly to get in those little snippets just to remind you, okay, th- that's Beth. This is who we're fighting for. Because for the rest of the movie, it's it's all the you know this day of them going to Coney Island is always just um, Rod filming Beth, and so it's always like Beth's face saying some cutesy thing like, "Oh, I can't believe I ate the whole thing" or whatever. And then it'll be back to the main story, and like. Um, that makes sense because certain things happen al- along the line in the plot, and I didn't bother writing down when in the plot, so I'm just talking about it now. Yeah. But like certain things happen that uh, you know people are like, did you fucking see that? I I recorded it, and you stop, and clearly the people have watched it in the movie, and then they turn the camera back on, and it fast forwards just a little bit. And if it if it would do that in real life, you would get that little blip. Of like the time with mm-hmm. them back on the Coney Island day, so it works. It actually works yeah. perfectly. I mean, it's pretty ingenious. Yeah. Um. So yes, that is happening as well. And I I do want to point out that HUD is like blatantly f- filming cleavage at the party. Yeah. For part of it. Uh, yeah, you do get a lot of the, the the very typical POV stuff and you know kind of cheap gags. And I think what's cool about that stuff 
uh, is that it really lends the believability that like you feel like you're coming into the middle of another movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right. it really the characters all have like these there are all these in media res relationships that you're kind of being brought up to speed on, but you're not being brought you don't feel like you're being brought up to speed on them like it's the beginning of a movie. You feel like these things have already been established and we just haven't seen it, and then like we're just kind of picking up the cues. Um, which is a really cool thing. It's not easy to do from a writing perspective, obviously. Um, and it treats the audience like they have a brain. Yeah. Which yeah. is nice. You know, I'm not, uh, you know, it's, it's from a, just like a pure, like, screenwriting class perspective. The first 20 minutes of this movie are really good for, like, getting, you know, like an assignment. You have to get this, 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 and this across, and this many pages. Can you do it? And, like, you know, can the performers believably bring that to life? And they do. Um, you know, it's a surprise party for Rob. We get to see random characters giving uh, giving their going aways to Rob and like even though these characters never come back whenever we see anything about them it's a little bit of informing you about what kind of guy Rob is obviously anyone at a surprise going away party for someone will say nice things but it does give you the sense that he's like a decent guy right? Yeah. at least um, and you know a lot of the exposition heavy elements of the party uh, they don't feel like cheap exposition to the audience because it's gossipy exposition between the characters. Yeah. So, right. you know, HUD and Jason and It makes and sense Millie, that they'd be talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it makes sense yeah. that at a party they'd huddle up in the uh, in the kitchen and talk about, like, what's going on with Rob? Right. Why is Beth here? Who's that guy that Beth brought to the party? Yeah. Like, you, the audience, want to know that, obviously, because you're like, wait, we saw Rob right. and Beth yeah. on this tape kind of making, we thought that was a thing. Yeah. There was another guy with her, like, what's going on? Yeah. And at the exact moment you, the audience, want to know the answer to that, these characters are also know what the fuck's going on because it's a pivotal sort of dramatic moment. Yeah. Um, I was starting to think at first that, um, like, he would, that she was cheating on her on boyfriend with And, with the, and the, I, I had sort of interpreted yeah. the first time I saw it that they had broken up recently. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, th I thought, like, she was an ex and then she, this was her showing up at his party with their new guy. Mm -hmm. Um... But of course, you know, because the movie is smartly written, they clear that up for us in the little conversations, right. and they establish the status quo, which is that Rob and Beth have been really good friends for a long time. They've obviously been clearly the will they, won't they, Ross and Rachel mm -hmm. gambit of this group of friends. Katie Holmes, and I think his name legally is Dawson, right? From Dawson's, Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek, yeah, Dawson <laughs> from Dawson's Creek. No relation to James Beef. Another um, change for the Kavakad circuit. <laughs> you know, uh, James Vader be currently lighting up the screen on CSI Cyber. Oh, he, if you guys he, are he interested, put Vader be got a CSI. Yeah, he's on a CSI. Oh, with, that's great uh, for him. With Lil Bow Wow is also on that CSI because <laughs> it was his fucking creek. And it he, was, his... and he got fucked over at the end of that show because Pacey, spoiler alert, picked Joey. So, or what the other way around? That, that Pacey makes sense. and Joey had considerably more chemistry. If we're being honest. I mean, if we're gonna if we're, if we're gonna bring this up, we're gonna fucking set the record straight. I see pieces of styrofoam that have had more, <laughs> you know, chemistry than the beak. He's a great guy. He works hard. Why? Why am I saying these things? The point is, is that yeah, getting into what you were saying, it's organic because it's like so often in movies, it'll cut to two characters and it'll be like, I can't believe we're going to this place for this reason, and then the other person will be like, Yeah, and because this, this, and this just happened. You're like, you're watching, you're like, What the fuck would they actually be saying this who shit like this? out loud? Yeah. to each other you know who you are you know why you're going to a place yeah. 
you know, and and so Cloverfield sidesteps that all by like, yes, it's all very juicy gossip, and all the people are there for Rod, you know. So and like, obviously, Hud what is talking drunk, about, yeah, Hud and is drunk. that makes sense why he would go around the party <laughs> yeah, telling, spilling the beans, right? Because he's been drinking to work up the courage to talk to Marlena. So it all like, yeah, it like, like makes sense. Like in the context of the film, everything makes sense. The gears are functioning. Yeah, it's it's, it's really smart uh, writing and inefficient writing. Um, and also credit to the, all the the cast. You know, what I mean, they, they they don't have a whole lot to work with these characters, but like you buy them pretty instantly. They all fit their little roles. You kind of feel what what they're doing, um, which is which is really cool. Uh, and you know, it, it gets you into it enough to where you stop thinking about the fact that you know this is a movie where monsters and stuff or whatever is going to happen. You start wondering like, what the fuck is it doing with Robin Beth? Like, what's how are they yeah. make this work? Is she just going to go to Japan? I mean, after after what just happened after, between yeah, them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I I found myself talking the way people talk in reviews in Us Weekly to myself like, <laughs> again. Like, you can't just do that to her, you know? Yeah. Um, and then they have proven chemistry. <laughs> yeah, you know. And um, there's a really great. I, I think that the one of the things that, that really really centered at home for me watching it was. You know, Rob, you know, just goes off in a room by himself and, and you know, the lead character, ty- you know, uh, cuts himself off from the rest of the cast because of this, you know, this whole, he obviously has this awkward thing with Beth where the guy shows up and then there's a scene. Travis. Yeah, the guy Travis. Fuck, dude, yeah. for Mad Men. Have you ever known a guy named Travis who wasn't like a fucking asshole? <laughs> I think it's Travis's and Dustin's. Yeah. Like, uh, I, no, yeah, I don't think I've known any not shitty Dustin's either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, it's fuck a, both of those guys. <laughs> I, um, I can't remember everyone I've ever met. Sorry, Dustin. No, no, I probably know one or two, but most likely fuck them. Uh, right. The the big thing is there's this moment where HUD is trying to get uh, Beth to record her farewell to Rob, but he's asking her to do this in front of this new guy, fucking Travis. Rob, it's a very yeah. awkward moment. There's a really good drama in it, you know, and she struggles to try to say these things to him. And uh, obviously, it's not easy to say that shit to HUD, you know, and don't yeah. do with the camera. Um, Tra- they have. Oh. Oh. Sorry, Travis, by the way, is uh, the same actor who was, uh, I believe, Max in uh, Mad Men. I don't know what season he was on, but like. He's like, got a super punchable face. Though. Yeah. That's smart casting. Yeah, yeah like, very smart she casting. She walks in with this dude, and you're like, fuck him. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if that's the boyfriend. It's and, like, like, it might as well have been Jerry Springer at that point. Yeah. Like, <laughs> instantly throwing hands on this guy in his tight black shirt. He looks kind of like Shane from The Walking Dead if he was in a teen movie. <laughs> like, that's what I thought was his look. Was like, what if, you know, John Bernthal was like, right. you know, a, a heartthrob. I hate him. Uh, but... The Walking Dead. <laughs> fucking Shane. But Rob and, and Beth have, have have an off-screen moment where they're trying to talk or whatever, and it clearly doesn't go the way you want yeah, it to go. Yeah. We don't see it what it is, but it spirals it. out. And she decides to leave the party with Travis. And the last thing that Rob says to Beth... Or them, I guess, as a duo is, you know, well, good luck tonight, Travis, which is just like, yeah, go on, fuck this loser guy's black tank top that I hate. And it's a very, like, you know, biting moment. There's clearly a lot of tension, and, uh, like, if Travis hadn't left, they probably would have started fighting. Yeah. yeah. It just would have turned into the room, essentially. You know, it would have very... Chip, 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 Um... Uh, sorry, I didn't, the movie's oh, not at all in wow. the room, but the whole time <laughs> oh, of wow. the party. Now I'm just imagining the room. <laughs> 20 minutes of this movie being, being the, like, party from the, the end best of the room. remake of the room ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so, 
someone, mistake the, that someone, the room someone out there should really just take the big <laughs> birthday party from the room and then cut kaiju footage into the part where uh, Tommy and Mark, or, uh, John and Johnny and Mark start whatever the great. I don't remember. Lily, you invited all my friends. Great thinking. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you know, so uh, Rob cuts himself off from everyone else at the party, and he's very despondent, and then. His brother Jason and Hud have to sort of get together to do the bro thing, which is let's go talk on yeah. the balcony and have a bro moment. Yeah. And we're thinking everything about or, the bromant. A bromant. Yeah. Everything <laughs> about this uh, setup was pretty like lived in and felt believable. That moment where they're all on the fucking balcony and he's like sad and his brother's like you just, you could, you, you've yeah. never been good enough for Beth anyway, man. You guys just love each other. That Hud. was the first line that when 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 Jason's like, "Look, you're no good for her, so you got to fucking tell her that you love her or whatever." It's like, all right, we're getting into a little bit of like kind of ham-handed scriptiness yeah. here. But I think the way they delivered it felt like, I mean, like I've had to give a friend that balcony speech before. Right. You know what I mean? We all have, I think. Yeah. And um, and also the fact that it shows that you know our main character is kind of an asshole. You know he's yeah. he's got flaws. Mm-hmm. I'd say Jason you know. and Rod are both assholes. Yeah, I mean the fact that J- like Lily clearly cares about this party and has invested a lot into this camera thing, mm-hmm. and she, like hands it to Jason, explains that to him, and he immediately hands it to Hud, who is clearly an idiot. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, so that's, that's, there's Barely a little, passable camera there's skills. a little bit of texture and, and grit to the characters. Like, they're not all just, like, great guys, like, sort of dicks. Yeah. But then, yeah, um, uh, sorry, Rod and Jason and, you know, TJ Miller are out on the, uh, you know, balcony talking about stuff. And then, uh, we, initially we just hear a very loud sound. Um, and it's sort of... This is the point where it kind of snaps into monster movie mode. And, and it, it is a snap. People are, you know, they're snapped out of their... Everything is dropped. Mm-hmm. Because they, they sort of, they go into the apartment and everyone's like, Oh, did you hear that? Or Lights flicker. Oh my god, what was that? What that noise? Yeah. And they're like, let's go up to the roof. Let's check it out. Everyone files up the roof, and you you can feel sort of the party atmosphere slowly kind of kind of dissolving and and disappearing. And on the way up the stairwell, you can hear a baby crying from another apartment because uh, people are just un, like all sort of going up to the roof. And the, all of a sudden, it's like you know you knew it was going to be this thing, but all of a sudden, it's becoming this other thing. Yeah. Um. And they're up on the roof, and they're they've you know I, I guess they're in. Brooklyn, and they're pointing the camera at Midtown, or I know that's all on Manhattan. Yeah, they're all, they're all well, in Manhattan. Well, they, they go up to the 20, roof because right. the news happens to be on, uh, or someone probably changed it to see what you know the fuck was going on. Uh, and the newscaster mentioned that there was like an explosion at an oil tank not far off from the Statue of Liberty, and someone suggested, oh, we could probably see that from the roof. So they, that's why they all go to the roof. Yes. So they're they're looking in that direction. And then there's an enormous Michael Bay style explosion, which is like giant fireball. Is what I mean by that. And in the distance too. Yeah. It's like like, far, like way far yeah. away, like miles away. Or and the way it's presented, is so I, I love it because it's like it really is like you're watching real light and this extravagant movie thing is happening off in the distance. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, you know, it, obviously because of the conceit of the storytelling device, you can't. Even zooming in, you don't see enough detail for it to feel like special effects. Obviously, yeah. it is, but like it's 
It really is this really visceral. And, like, you're right. It goes from everyone in the party being uh, caught up with all their little li- lives and their little gossip and bullshit. And then, like, once they go outside, like, you can hear the rest of the world. Like, the actual... Right. The world. Everything else, you know. Um, then, you know, they have, everyone runs outside, right? Right. I, 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 I apologize for literally flubbing the plot details of a very simple sequence, but, like, stuff blows up, yeah. and they'll run to the, out of the house, I guess. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much... Yeah, well, they're back right away. Like, they have to... They flaming they, shit is right, falling exactly. down yeah, upon is, them, so get out yeah, of the yeah, fucking building. That's yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. But once they get outside, of course, is the most sort of, I think, iconic moment in the movie, and it's also from, I think, the first trailer that ever, that ever debuted. Yeah. Is something comes hurtling at them, and when it finally lands, it's the head of the Statue of Liberty. Right. Which, which is, is a direct right. image. It is the Escape from New York poster. Now, let's be clear about this. This never actually happens in the movie Escape from New York, but the poster is the Statue of Liberty's head uh, in the streets of, of New York. So, J.J. Uh, Abrams saw this, like, we're putting that in a fucking movie. I don't care... <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, my like, I don't yeah. care if this is going in a movie. So. And this immediately, the, the, the upcoming scene shows you like how dated this film is because people immediately start taking pictures of it with their phones instead of taking selfies. Which is what, it, this, you know, so already, you know, I, yeah, I can't so relate few... to this movie. There's, there's no one holding up their phone yeah. with their friends smiling. Uh, it is interesting to note, um, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more in a few moments, I guess, if we're going through minute by minute, but like... Uh, we don't have to go yeah, through it no, by this. Sorry, we can, we can jump ahead. Do whatever. But well, there's this. Uh, I thought about that, the cell phone thing, because um, you know, cell phones are obviously a pretty huge part of our lives now, uh, and they've advanced a lot, and they advance very quickly. Uh, I imagine in a few years we have ones that shoot lasers at people. I'm very excited. Um, but in this movie, everyone still has flip phones, and like you know, the last time I saw a flip phone in a movie was you know the whatever Fast and Furious movie there was where they had flip phones, and I thought, well, this is fucking wrong. Um, but there's a moment when essentially all this shit starts going down. Everyone freaks out. Everyone's like, you know, running. There's the whole. There's a good like few minutes that are just them panicking and asking each other questions, which is my favorite thing that happens when something crazy happens. Is that no one has any information, so everyone turns to each other, who other people don't have information, going, "What? What? What? Do you, what's going on? What do you think has happened? What is this? Like, clearly none of us fucking know." Yeah. But. In real life, in minor situations like that, it's very irritating. In a movie, it always well. makes me laugh that thirty people stand in a circle. Divorced from just, the news, we're like, but what are we all going to, what do you think it is? I don't know, what do you think it is? Well, like, what you just, it's literally the breaking down of the fabric. Yeah, it's of, just everyone just... The, they, the illusion that we're more than just really smart animals walking around. Yeah, everyone's just freaking, People are just freaking like, the fuck look, out. They're asking each other questions that they already know the answer, and by the way, the answer is impossible for the other person to know because it's something to talk about because... Otherwise, you'll lose your mind. Right. And I do think that everyone, all the actors, you know... Uh, do that very very well. Uh, you know, Lizzie Kaplan, who plays Marlena, you know, shows like a level of shock and horror because her character had the field of view to actually see right. the hint of the monster that we, the viewer, have seen that yeah. some of the characters did not see because they weren't looking for it. Um, which yeah. is this the, is, I think, the moment where they do the, the they look a at wall the footage. Of dust, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. comes in and they. I'm sorry, they to go back. They hide in a uh, like a drugstore or a whatever quickie mart that's you know at the bottom of. Uh, the base level of the street, and um, and the wall of smoke, clearly evoking you know that again that nine eleven imagery, and uh, but they the main cast with the exception of Lizzie Kaplan are inside, and mm. the windows get blown out, 
and uh, and then some time passes and they go outside again. But they do precisely what you just said, where Jason starts going out, and you know T.J. Miller is like. Oh my God, Rod, where's Jason going? You know, what's he doing? You know, and everyone starts saying, what is they doing? What, what, what? You know, and it's like, yeah, the, the, all that happens in, in earnest. And uh, they go outside and, and uh, there's, and that's, that part is really uh, amazing too. Like the understatement of just like, Lizzie Kaplan has actually seen the thing that is causing this. And she's like not talking to anyone. She's not like, guys, this is thing is crazy. We got to get out of here because it's already almost like, I, I don't want to say, you know, I can't speak for what her character's thinking, but like, to me, it's like, oh, we're fucked. Like it's pointless to try to escape. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone, uh, obviously panics. And they all start. I think what happens is they, they all, uh, I keep saying, I think like I didn't watch this movie fucking 24 hours ago. <laughs> They all start, uh, you know, the exodus. Everyone starts walking. You get the sequence. Everyone is walking the streets and, of course, stopping everyone. Like, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? Asking cops. The cops are like, if you're not injured, keep fucking walking. You're seeing bodies. You're seeing people in in, uh, in triages. And uh, some of the, the, the – this particular section of the film, this little brief section, the camera work uh, feels less jagged and handheld and running ar- around and a little bit more like the – the sort of like silent witness work and like children of men, you know, where right. like you're watching the world kind of pass you on off your left side. Yeah, or like seeing, Son of Saul. Or <laughs> I don't know, Son of Saul, but the I whole movies in like medium close up. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but you know, it has that sense of like all this shit has happened. You don't know what it is, but like you're just seeing the world changing like, off to the off to your peripheral. view off to the peripheral. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone is just kind of following everyone else. And it, you... I will say T.J. Miller did actually film roughly a sixth of Yeah, I think he said movie. it was like a, it was like a, like, like, what? Like... He filmed a third of it, and then half of what he filmed got into the movie. Yeah, so there's, there are, there are scenes, and we don't know for certain which ones, I haven't watched the commentary, uh, where it's, yeah, T.J. Miller, I guess, is the camera operator, which, uh, narratively, he is almost the whole movie, but also right. literally in real life. Yeah. Um, but they end up uh, at the bridge, right? Like they, they, they end Brooklyn up Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Brooklyn yeah. Bridge. The whole thing is just kind of where everyone is is just going. It's being to. ferried, yeah. and um, at this point, uh, the whole crew is together. They're they're getting there. Everyone's still freaking out. Robert gets a call from Beth. Yes, which obviously makes yeah. him stop in his tracks yeah. because I think what's, what's really cool about this too. And this is the thing I love about the movie. One of the main things I love about the movie is that the Robin Beth storyline. You know, in movies like. Romantic comedies usually like if two characters are, are kept apart, something has to bring them back together, right? And the thing is usually it's usually what it's usually like, don't get on that plane or whatever the thing is, and he has to or, run and chase her. Yeah, he like saw a picture with her with someone else, but it was like like the wrong picture, some horse shit. Thing yeah, it's always some like a little whatever. Here it literally is. He he he's crazy about this girl. He wants to be with her, but he has all this bullshit in the way. And then this whatever is going on. Wipes all the bullshit away. Right. The world could be ending for all they know. And he gets a phone call from her where she says she's trapped in her apartment. And, you know, she, she needs help. She doesn't know what she's going to do. And the world falls away. And he's like, "This is I have to save her. This is what... It's a very visceral, over-the-top, yeah. dramatic thing. But that's... You know, in, in, and, in, a, in, a, in a rom-com yeah. and, movie... An ultimate shy guy with a crush... Wish fulfillment, I mean that. Because if it's just like, oh, this, you know, that one girl, if there's like fucking crazy, 
well, if a giant monster was attacking, and yeah. then it could just be, you know, I'm coming to get you, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. And but at the it. same time, he's not a superhero. He's a little, you know, he's young, dumb, full he's just, something. He's not um, even that useful. Yeah, but, it, but it's, at that, yeah. that moment, he's great at getting his friends killed. At that moment, Rob decides, <laughs> okay, I have to stop what I'm doing and figure out this phone call from Beth, which makes HUD stop. He's like, what's Rob doing? What's Rob? And so yeah. HUD stops. And Jason then, gets up to get a Jason, better view. Because, yeah, well, that and also because Jason is a hard-headed asshole and just forging forward, not paying attention to his friends. I'm sorry, there's a reason certain characters die in this movie. <laughs> Jason's further down the bridge. He's like, why'd you guys stop? What the hell? Because he's kind of a dick. And it's what like, the hell, bro? And uh, then, of course, the monster, one of its tentacle appendages, destroys the bridge, killing Jason and countless others. And Jason's the first casualty of our party. So now Marlena, Lily, Hud, and Rob uh, run away from the bridge so as not to die. Right. Uh, now these characters have to process that, you know, Lily's boyfriend, Rob's brother, dead. Yeah. Um, and just the, 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 like the random chance of Beth calling just then to mm-hmm. keep them from going forward, or they all certainly would be dead. Yes. Yeah. Which is great. Which is great writing. You know? yeah. so, so now, of course... They're trapped. It's like the first real devastating blow that's happened. Because up till now, things have been terrible, but everyone's still alive. Right. At least the people that... Their core group. Their core group yeah. is alive. And, and you're led to believe that in this tragedy, it's like, okay, first response is here. There are cops telling you where to go. We'll, we'll be safe if we just reach to the other side, you know? And then clearly, yeah. following those directions gets a bunch of people killed. Yeah. Even more of order breaking down, you know? Right. Imminent chaos. Uh, this circles back to the cell phone thing we were talking about earlier, is at this point, Rob again tries to call uh, Beth back, and his phone is dead. Because the whole it seems most people be like, oh, I'm in service, oh, my phone's dead. You know, because, you know, this is still that era of cell phones where they're prevalent, but they're not, you know, this wasn't an era where people, you know, own auxiliary battery packs they keep with them so their phone doesn't die and things like that. Like, now cell phones are so ingrained in you that it's just like, I'm not going to be caught out with a dead cell phone. Who knows when I'll need it. You're, this is the culture of permanently charging your cell phone. Yeah, that wall huggers and yeah, and, and this is before that. So his phone's dead, and while people are looting, Rob runs into a Radio Shack to get another battery. Like, and I, I remember the first thing that popped in my head, and this is just because I'm like a, a loser and I spend a lot of my time watching like tech reviews on YouTube and things like that. Was thinking about like it totally took me out of the movie. I'm really ashamed of this. Is like. What kind of phone is that? And how do you find... You know how hard it is always to find your model battery in a store? Like, you might have to go to Amazon for that. Like, Right, and you're relying on trained professionals to assist you. Yeah, and, this and is during he looting. just runs in and is kind of like... He figures... It, I, I know it's a very, very small nitpick and a, and a goofy one. But I just remember thinking, like, he found a... Ba- I'm like, did he get an external thing and plug it into the phone? Or did he actually find a replacement battery for his specific phone? That was already phone? charged. In, in a pre-looted Radio Shack... I think I think he just got a new phone and knew Beth's phone number and dialed it. See, okay, I almost am with you there, except that you can't just pick up a phone and start using it. Oh, right? I mean, even a prepaid even phone, pre-paid, you yeah. have to like pay for something. I sincerely doubt any of the lines where you could use a credit card over the phone to set up a prepaid phone were working at that yeah, point. Boy, that's a good point. And I thought well, that the too. fact that I his cell he... phone, I mean, if you remember, uh, well, okay, I didn't have a cell phone. Nine eleven. We were our school was under complete. Radio silence that mm-hmm. whole day. Principal gave an announcement that something bad had happened, and the TVs, radios, everything was to not not be on the rest of the day. However, I found out from older people that cell phones were ringing off the hook, and that people were having trouble getting connections. Yeah, no, of yeah. course, I remember that. Here's my thing, though. Yeah, 
I'm okay with the conceit that even though everyone's using their cell phones and there's connection problems, he gets through. I get mm-hmm. that. Okay. It just really fucked me up that I'm like, I know he didn't charge the phone that fast. <laughs> I think it's weird that he found the exact right replacement battery. And I know he didn't get a new phone. And I, I do buy that he knows her number by heart. I buy that. Yeah. T- totally perfect. But that... I'll, I'll admit, the only thing in the movie that threw me off was him running in a Radio Shack, and everyone's like, Rob, what are you doing? And Rob is, there's a moment, I, I, mean, I wish I could like play a gif of that shot right now or something, like where he's actually looking at different things yeah. and checking the back, and I'm like, that's hilarious to me. I don't know why. Like That specific thing of him like... Because it's so abridged, and he yeah. comes up successful? Do you think it would take longer? Well, I think it would take longer, but I'm not one of those people that thinks that movies. I'm not like a movie mistake. I don't care about that. Yeah. I just meant that enough... Time is spent on it in this very brief, efficient movie. It's like, I don't know, seven, eight second shot or something. Yeah. But in my head, it lingered on it long enough for me to start thinking about the process of getting a replacement cell phone well, battery mm-hmm. in 2007 or whatever. Well, Dominic, as At all a this... Radio all, Shack. At, Remember that relic? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> as this is happening, we're also, you know, HUD is, is kind of going around the electronics store and seeing sort of the news, you know, some CNN footage and what have you. You see... Uh, the monster uh, sort of briefly through some obscured of the, behind you know, obscured buildings, behind and buildings, yes. and um, but then you get a really good look at because we're still okay at this point in the movie. You're still at yes, things are fucked, and this is in no way a great situation. But at least it's a survivable situation if basic common sense and certain protocols are followed, like starting right now. And there you go. But they, they, you see uh, one of the TVs, and you see uh, uh, basically these things falling off of the monster, the main monster. And then when they land, they turn into littler monsters. Yes, yeah. and start killing people immediately. And I thought that was a really cool... Um, Cloverfield babies. Clover, yes. the low, low Cloverfields. <laughs> Seeing them, that's a good setup for what you see them later, they end right. up being yeah, you know, yeah. major threats, yeah. and that was really well done. And the thing I liked about that sequence as well, setting aside all my weird baggage with the cell phone shit, is uh, the sense that usually in a movie like this, when someone finds a channel that the news is playing, the news is always frighteningly uh, informative. I mean, anyone who watches the news knows that it's not that at all ever no. in real life. And in a movie, you turn the news on and the newsman always has exactly the right amount of information for the characters. Right. Like, everyone stay away from this exact street or something like that. <laughs> or, you know, some super weirdly, like... like don't go to Beth's apartment, guy. Like, they just fucking know. Right. And I like that the news people were equally clueless. Because they're right. just in a studio. No yeah. one has any... Like because what you're seeing is so fucked up. Yeah. And like, I like that it reinforces, like, literally no one knows what the fuck is going on. It's just scary. Yeah. yeah. And then the news are like, yeah, that... It's some... I don't... Well, I don't know. But it is... <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, not like, it's not like... It's not like Pat Collins was doing uh, the report. <laughs> yeah, you, you really get the sense that, like, okay... At first, it's like, okay, my immediate friends don't know what the fuck is going on. That's fine. Oh, people in the street don't know what the fuck is going on. Okay, the news doesn't know what the fuck is going on. And like right. Throughout the this, this, this story, more and more people right. higher up the informational food chain have no answers. Right, right. I mean, that this scene, it's like a couple of things. What you just said about <laughs> like, okay, no one in America and possibly the planet knows what's happening. 
And the situation is way, way less survivable now because you've got these little mobile guys going around. Because at little, first you start to monsters. think, well, if they can just get away from that one giant well, should monster. Be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, like, if you, the whole movie you're playing at three years, like, okay, if I was in this situation, what do you do? Like, okay, well, you obviously you can hear this thing from miles away. So just run as fast as you can away in the other direction. And, and keep once, doing that. And, yes. and, and guess what, guy? Keep doing that. But, like, as soon as these little guys fall off of them, it's like, fuck! These things are moving super fast. They don't make any noise. Like, this is officially, like, a mist, like Stephen King's The Mist level survivable yeah. situation at this well, point. That, where it's, like, like, not very. The Spoiler minute you alert see the it and you see how fast they are, you know there is a sequence coming up with these fuckers. Right. You just, yeah. on, a, on, a, on like, a movie viewer Exactly, level, like, you don't... You're like... Yeah. And, the, and, and these things were kept completely hidden in the advertising for the movie. Like, you knew vaguely that there was, like, a giant monster, but there was no indication that there were these things. So it's That the like, monster, like, shedded littler monsters. Yeah, yeah. you're like, oh, this, this is gonna be much, much more horrifying now. So at this point, Rob... Um, and, 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 then, oh. and then, sorry, Hud says, okay, it's time to leave the electronics store now. Which I think, okay, that's the, yeah. the end scene about yeah. the cell phone battery thing. Yeah. It's like, you see this, you're like, fuck, we need to move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he gets the phone working, uh, tries to call Beth again, she's trapped, and Peter decides, you know what? Hero's journey time, I'm gonna go save Beth. And I like the way everyone falls in line here, and in some ways, Beth's phone call... Saving them all on the bridge, but not Jason is really important because I think if Jason was there, Jason may have been the one character to potentially successfully talk him out of this quest. Yeah. Instead, there's just HUD, who clearly is going to go wherever Marlena or wherever Rob goes. There's Lily, whose boyfriend just died and is in shock, and now her, his brother is the only person she has left, and Marlena, her friend, she's going to go wherever Rob goes. Marlena can't go anywhere alone now because she's so traumatized, she'll go wherever the rest of the group goes. At yeah. this point, Rob decides to do this, and they, they continue following him. At first, just to talk him out of it, but it's very clear that wherever Rob is going now, they're gonna like they need to be together now. They don't know anyone else. They can't get a hold of anybody else. These four people, they're the only the other three people are the only ones they know, and they're gonna stick together because what else are they gonna do? Right. Mm-hmm. And Rob is very clear about like you guys do not have to do this. He actually points to like you know the military. They, yeah, visually you see the exit routes they could just join and follow through, which is cool. And he's like almost halfway convincing them not to follow him, but he's like very clear. He's like I am definitely one hundred percent doing this. Yeah, and then along the way we see more of what I was talking about before, that sort of children of men, apocalyptic shit, like a random man jumps in front of HUD and starts speaking a foreign language, there's no subtitles, we don't know what he's saying, Yeah, HUD doesn't know what he's saying, it's very horrific. Um, they walk out into the middle of a street, and I mean, this is, I guess, where the stakes get raised, they walk out into the middle of a street, and s- the monster comes, suddenly fire from behind them comes. And in a, and in a war zone. Like yeah. The National Guard, or right. the military, tanks, guns, yeah. all sorts of crazy the, weapons. The Chuck Norris Invasion USA moment yeah. where there's oh just... Oh my god, like, that's a Cloverfield sequel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, why isn't that... Cloverfield oh. USA. Specifically, the, look, Invasion USA is a shit movie, but there is approximately... I would love the Canon Films version of Cloverfield, the, though. I'd love the Canon version film of anything, <laughs> except Masters of the Universe, but... God, the can't take that back. Uh, <laughs> can't take that back. Cannon fodder. Exactly. Uh, the there's a scene at the end of Invasion USA starring Chuck Norris where there's like it's an urban or it's like it's like a, a setting. I think it's downtown like 
Dallas or some shit? Florida. Or sorry, yes, yeah, Florida. Florida. It's like it's Florida. Miami. Someplace in Miami, and there's like tanks and at at guns and fifty cals and rocket launchers and then like two hundred guys with M sixteens and they're all firing at the terrorists in that movie at the same time. And it, I will give it that it is a striking image. And they have not intentionally, and I don't think they knew of that film at all. Total coincidence. Wanted to talk about Invasion USA there for a I, second, but it's the same image. Where I want to be like, on record as saying that there's no way Matt Reeves had not yeah. seen it, okay. Invasion USA, yeah. and definitely <laughs> was quietly homaging that for us. Yes, yes. Um, but they get trapped in this war zone. Uh, HUD gets temporarily split up from the rest of the group. They meet back up and they run down into uh, the subway station, which is really a really cool shot of, of HUD coming around, and you the sort of panoramic almost view of like what's going on and how. Thoroughly fucked everything is. Right. They go, they hide in the subway station, and... Um, and this is almost... I, I feel like the closest movie I can compare this to is um, Fellowship of the Ring. After the um, the walls close when they're in Moria, mm, yeah. and Gandalf says, we have, you know, but only one way to go. And yeah. that's basically that moment. Because now it's like, okay, there is no going back. There's, we're, we're on the Beth quest now. Yeah, they take a momentary the uh, dark of morning. <laughs> they take a, a momentary uh, respite in the subway, if you can call it that. And uh, uh, he gets a phone call from his mom, which is a really rough does. scene where yeah. Rob has to tell his mom, mom and his brother just died. died. What's weird about the way that dialogue exchange goes is that at first he's telling her, "Yeah, no, no, we're safe. They're ferrying everybody out. The military, like, we're getting out of here." I remember thinking, oh, he's just not going to tell her. I mean, God, who would want to have to tell their mother that their her son is dead right now? Right. So he lies about him being safe and everything else, and then is like, but mom, Jason's dead. And I was like, well, shit. You might as well just tell her Jason's dead, and I'm an idiot, and I'm going on a, a quest to save my not-girlfriend, you know? I mean, you might as well just go deep. Um, but he, uh, no, he, he, he breaks it to her, and, like, it's... I think this little break that happens here is really important for pacing, but also to kind of let the human element settle in, because the thrills here amp up in such a way that you almost forget, like, what's driving the story, and, like, it really, you need a minute here to, to process, no, his brother just died, her boyfriend just died, Hud's friend just died, Marlena has no interest in Jason or, or any sort of friendship, so she's mostly just shell-shocked, but still, this is a big thing they have to kind of process, uh, they process it for a little bit there, and um, this is sort of also the beginning of one of the minor subplots, which is that HUD still trying to mack on Marlena, even though the world is ending potentially, probably more so, and you start to see a little bit of a, a reciprocation, little, a not a lot, a little fine, just sort of, hey, well, these are the only three people in the world at the moment with me. And HUD mentions, like, it fell to Earth, like, it flew to Earth like Superman, and uh, Marlena's like, yeah, it's like Superman, and, and HUD freaks out. He's like, you, you know about Superman? And then, you know, Marlena, like, stops, and, like, you know, stops walking, and is, like, talking directly. HUD's like, oh, my, which is big, because, like, she barely addresses HUD throughout the movie. He's like, oh, my God. You, this is this is. Are you feeling this right now? Are you also aware of Garfield? Yeah. Which, 
Look, I'm a huge Garfield fan. Yeah. <laughs> so any any mention of Garfield in, in any like, movie, yeah. I'm in hog heaven. I mean, it should it should be noted that before I guess America's Iron Man, uh, before the first Iron Man, women were not allowed to uh, like comic books uh, in, in this country. It was just I forbidden. cannot back you uh, up on any of these things you're saying right now. Just kidding. But there's mm-hmm. there's a real sense there that yeah, for the first time, Marlene is acknowledging him, even if that acknowledgement is just to own him yes. right. Um, right but it, again as long as you're getting in name time for America's favorite fat cat Garfield <laughs> that's okay with me now uh, like two seconds later so they're walking th- up the tunnels which, the subway station, the subway yeah, station. System, which is how they're going to get to right. the part of the, te- of the city where, yeah. where, where Beth is um, they're walking through the dark yeah. HUD is absentmindedly talking and chattering to keep himself sane yeah, uh, and they do this really great bit that I love, where like they can't see in the dark, and they thought they hear something, which is classic shit. Just, just kiss his fingers, it's beautiful. And the and camera um, happens to have night, night vision, vision, and you know? Rob, this being his motherfucking camera, shows right. him how to turn it on. Hud turns it on and turns Matt, around. Matt Reeves remembers the climax of Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yes, <laughs> another yes. sterling cinema. Uh, or maybe he saw the Paris Hilton video. Uh, Jesus! Oh God! <laughs> Jesus! Foul today. Look, that was still fuck? topical get in 2008. How they? It how dare you? And get out! Um, so. uh, but they reveal that there are those those little monsters from earlier are yeah. in this episode, and on the fucking field. ceiling. Yes, which is great. I love this little this little sequence because the way you know they run, they fight the monsters off. This is a great bit. Hud doesn't stop and go, there's a monster here. He just is like, just run. Like, what is it? Just run. Like, there's no yeah. point in explaining it. Yeah, You're yeah. not going to run as fast if you know. Yeah. Because it's going to fuck you up. Just let's just go. Hud's going to be the only sort of sad witness to what's really chasing them because he's the only one that can see with the night vision. Yeah. Uh, it starts fighting them. They have to fight them off. I like that the fighting off is really realistic. No one suddenly gets combat skills. Right. But they're also not completely inept. They fight the way you want to feel like you and your friends would fight off. Spider monkey monsters together. You know, it feels really. And these things are straight up out of Stephen King's The Mist. uh, And it is, they're so upsetting. Just uh, not only visually. Um, because they they definitely look like nightmare fuel, but the sounds they make—they sound sound like a dying tauntaun. They they sound like okay. I don't know if you ever in like the deep woods Mm -hmm. and like a moth or like a fly or something flies up and accidentally like flies into like your eardrum and it makes this sort of like (laughs) noise. It's it's a really unnatural. It's like insect revulsion. Like your skin crawls at the sight of trying to process it. And I like that Deeply they make upsetting. they make a month the month the Cloverfield monster specifically and then the little little Cloverfield monsters are, are <laughs> little Cloverfield. <laughs> they're designed in such a way, and this is why I never got those Funkos. They're designed to be like incomprehensible to your eyes and mind. They're not. It's not a Godzilla where you're like, ah, that it's, looks sort of like a dinosaur. It's or, a dragon with plates. Yeah, on. Well, or something. it's like it's Lovecraftian. This is yeah, you know like the, the, this is from a different dimension. The masters of this of the old world are back. Yeah, right. and there, there's a, a they are indifferent to a, our pain right, and a suffering. A hole has been torn in reality, and these things are coming through it. Okay, that's the only like explanation because it doesn't come from any sort of natural world that we it, have. It, never, had it, it doesn't to. feel like a like a government science experiment going no. wrong because it doesn't begin in any recognizable form. Everything about it is just fucking wrong, right? Yeah. And like we, maybe this is what God looks like in corporeal form. Yeah, <laughs> everything about right. it is just off. 
And the the way the the main Cloverfield monster is sort of running through the town and bumping into buildings, J.J. Abrams has, has gone on record as saying that he modeled it after a baby elephant that's gone on a rampage at a circus. Because he said there's nothing more terrifying than something big and pissed off that doesn't know where it is. And, like, is uh, like... His, his words exactly were like, a, there's nothing scarier than a big spooked animal. So, like, that's also, we're seeing, what we're seeing here is like an infant, the the main monster. Yeah. So, like, that, that's that, also yeah. awesome. Like, what a cool spin to put on it. Yeah, great concepts. Um, they get away from the little the little ones, and, um, but Marlena is scratched by one of them. She's, there's a bite. Bit? It's a she, bite. She's been bit. Bite. I don't know why that um, I mean, they've all been a little fucked up by it. But, but she, she yeah, got the she specifically is, is bitten. Yeah. So that, that terminology is important later. Uh, they briefly hide out in a room that has a vending machine that Rob breaks open. And they a lot sort of, of Mountain Dew. A lot of Mountain Dew. Once they switch back over from night vision, Mountain <laughs> Dew is clear and accounted for. Present and accounted and for. And Dasani water, too. There's a little it? bit more of the sort of mild flirtation between Marlena and, and, uh, and, and HUD here. Um, again, still believably mild. They don't just turn into some weird, like... Yeah, it's you know, not... I'll, I'll protect you. It's I'll, not yeah. like if, for example... And I'm just spitballing here. Uh, it's not like if Jane... Or, uh, it's not like if Black Widow suddenly fell in love with the Hulk for no oh, reason Jesus, in the like, second Avengers movie. It's not that bad. The best thing about that movie is clearly James Spader, Dominic. The Ace of Spader. The Ace of Spades, that man... But, uh, no, it's very believable, uh, and it's, uh, again, organic, and it's efficient, and it gets the story along, and, uh... I, I particularly like it happening at this moment, you know, because then, uh, they end up running some more, and they end up in, like, this, uh, abandoned, uh, clothing store, or what have you, that's uh, turned into, uh... Sort of a makeshift emergency room because triage. There's a bunch of yeah. military people. People improvised on, HQ. Improvised HQ. There's like a computer set up and people looking very serious. And again, this this seems this sequence is really great because again, you feel like you're on the periphery of a different movie. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. there's a version of the Cloverfield story that's like we cut to the important military guys and someone's chomping a cigar. Oh, we've got to kill this thing. And like you don't get any of that. You're just on the periphery when the main characters run into these these characters. So. Uh, you know, there's some military folk, there's people being bloody, and there's tents and stuff, and it's all, all sorts of just mayhem. And uh, these military people are telling them they can't be there. They're basically just going to try to ferry them off to... They're getting people off the island right. for yeah. some reason that they're going to kind of go into. Well, they, they, they mentioned the the hammer protocol. Or the yes. hammer down. Yeah. Uh, which I believe was alluding to um, either by nuclear weapons or just... Just leveling, just, yeah, leveling. That's what it takes. Yeah. What's cool is that that okay. So that specific the hammer protocol thing is brought up at the end of the sequence, and I want to get to that in a second. But okay. the, the whole sequence is is you know letting you know now we've already seen that the people around them don't know what's going on. People in the street don't know what's going on. The news doesn't know what's going on. Here's the fucking military, and they don't know what the fuck's going on. Like mm-hmm. these people are equally clueless. They're just shooting the thing. They're gonna shoot the thing with bigger stuff. If the bigger stuff doesn't work. They're going to try even bigger stuff. There, yeah. There's not a sense that anyone knows what's what it is, who yeah. made it, how to stop it. Dr. Sarazawa or Matthew Broderick isn't there yeah, there's, to, there's like, no, to there's, say, like, oh, I have the answer to all yeah, the problems. There is no and, wonder. And I love weapon. it that there is no expert or, or any of that shit because it's, it's way more terrifying. If this, this thing is just here and we're fucked. So everyone's panicking about that. Rob goes into full-on just like rage mode because they're keeping him from Beth. And he just like goes into it. 
And there's, it's very subtle, but you can tell that one of the military guys is maybe a little bit softened by this display, I think. Yeah. Everyone else is just like, who gives a shit about these whiny fucking hipsters? Just get them on a goddamn helicopter. Well, I thought it was weird that, like, they even acknowledged them. I thought that they would just, like, either shove, physically shove them out of the way. It's like, just you want to go, go die? They just go die. They go die. They, it's they, like, they, you they, know how many people have died tonight? But like, they don't do that because they don't want them getting in the way of their operations and stuff, which makes okay. sense. Uh... And then, of course, this is the, you know, sort of one of the bigger tragic moments in the movie is they discover that Marlena has the bite. She's yeah. been bitten by one of the little, little Cloverfield monsters. Well, they, 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 like, zip pan, you know, or whip pan back to her, and her, she's like, like I'm starting to feel bad, or I don't feel so good, or whatever, and she's got these oozing things of blood coming out of her eyes and her nose, possibly her ears, and she looks like a... Not a good vamp, not a sexy vampire, not like a Jim Jarmusch thing, but just more of like X Files, <laughs> like not. Good. She looks like a pretty extravagant special effect that's about to go off. <laughs> yeah, and they take her into a tent, and she just fucking explodes. She explodes. There's just blood everywhere. Not before making a very disconcerting noise beforehand. Yeah, it's pretty unsettling. That uh, was that plus the explosion of blood on the uh, plastic tarp. I want to the the visual design here is very reminiscent of uh, an ET when uh, what's his face I want to say Peter Wolf but I know that's wrong when they when the basically when the military moves in and, and plastic tarps everything that's so you know the plus side of that is you've got this clear surface and Lizzie Kaplan's head apparently explodes. And uh, they use, like, the guacamole gun from Desperado, and, like, they shoot the chunks up on the wall. And, uh, yeah, deeply upsetting. Yeah. yeah deeply uh, Particularly deeply for HUD, who, that was his one reason, sort of, for moving forward. Yeah. Um, and Lily, again, losing one of her friends, because that's how Marlena knows them, and she's Lily's friend. And uh, they, um, they freak the fuck out, and the, the sympathetic military guy pulls them into a hallway, who's just like, Let, look, it's, it's done, it happened, like... Because these guys have obviously seen some fucked up shit tonight, too, and they're just like, look, we have to do our jobs. You can't sit and mourn your friend now. And it's, it, it really... When Jason dies, there's this really big, sad moment that gets upended by Rob's quest. Like, they're distracting themselves from that. Mm-hmm. With Marlena's death, it's like, it hits them really hard, and, like... It, it, there's not time for that now, at this point yeah. in the story. They're so, they're, they're, everything's chugging along at a pace where it's like, well, she's dead. And more people are probably going to die, too, so get used to it. The military guy takes him out of a side hallway and is like, you know, I shouldn't be doing this, but you want to go save your friend, do whatever, do the thing. But, like, he bring, this is where he brings up the, the Hammer Protocol. Right. And he's like, look, they're going to fucking level the city. If you're not at this spot by this time, 6 a.m., then, like, you, you guys aren't going to get out. Right. Which is great because now it gives us a countdown clock yeah. for the rest of the movie. It's like, okay, now it's we like have to get the stakes to, are raised the stakes appropriately. Are raised appropriately. Now we've got to go save Beth and get back to the chopper. I, I will we also say, yeah. to the chopper. We have to get to the chopper. <laughs> uh, having Marlena die was like probably the most likable character in the movie. Mm-hmm. And having her die, I think, informs the viewer of what, you know, obviously we're like, you know, 45, 50 minutes into the movie at this point. But like additionally informs you as to, okay, what kind of movie it's going to be now where it's like... You know, Jason dying, you needed that to sort of like, okay, it's a real thing, bad things are going to happen, but maybe this group's going to be okay. And now that she dies, it's like, okay, none of these people are, are names or big stars or whatever, but it's like, as if you didn't understand it completely before, it's official now. Anyone can die, and in not only can they die, but in like terrible ways. 
And like you know, that t- takes it into a whole different kind of movie. And and basically, you realize now you're in the hands of a madman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like <laughs> you mean ah, HUD? Uh, well, <laughs> HUD. <laughs> the cameras and, and Matt Reeves, you and know. Matt. So uh, they continue on. And there's a really powerful moment where like HUD almost even stops. Like he's really well. Yeah, I mean yeah. he's like. And Lily and him had this little moment, and Rob had has to turn around and. Rob, like, yeah. yeah, hey guys, I mean, you know, if you guys want to wait here, I mean, I, I gotta do this, you know, cause remember, you know, you know, Beth, and they're all like, I'm gonna get yeah, Beth, let's, so die trying. Hey yeah, guys, remember how much Beth looks like Megan Fox? I gotta get her. <laughs> so they end up it's so awesome. They're, they're running through the city, and there's a point where they get to these two buildings that have collapsed, one's nearly collapsed into the next building. Um, again, you know, the imagery, and uh. Yeah, this is a great moment which, of HUD. <laughs> which may have been borrowed from Idiocracy, which was finished at that point, but had not been released in 2008. Um, Idiocracy's <laughs> secret influence on uh, Cloverfield. There's a point where... Which also has the leaning building visual, but continue. But there's the moment of uh, HUD going, well, I mean, that's not her apartment building, right? He goes, no, it is. Well, she's on the bottom floor. Nope, she's on the 39th floor or whatever. <laughs> so they gotta go up into the other building to get to her apartment. This whole... And it was really what I liked about it too is that um, earlier destruction that you see is very street level. It's just storefronts and the, and the walkways and stuff. And then it's like a then it's like that you know clothing store. Here they go into this very nice apartment building. They're walking through very nice hallways, very nice apartments. You know, shattered, destroyed. Like even you know, I mean, it, it's, there's not a, like a, a lot of conscious class things happening here, but you do get that sense of you know they're going into this. Everything is falling apart. You know what right. I mean? Like, whatever little life you have, whether it's a loft party because you got a new job in Japan or if you have a really nice apartment or whatever, this monster will destroy that. This this sense of destruction is going to upend any of that shit. Right. And I think that really cuts to the core of a lot of... A very natural fear of humanity. We, coll- we cultivate things. We, we, we build these little lives for ourselves. And at any moment, a giant, multi-limbed monster could kill everyone you know, you know? Um... But they uh, they get they, they, they get they get to Beth, who is like moderately pinned down by some shit right. again. This well, is she's got about. a fucking spike of barb uh, going through her chest. Whatever. Up until this if, moment, if it was I'd, John Rambo. John Rambo. I had visually, <laughs> visually assumed a lot of shit about her predicament. I assumed she was dead. I assumed she'd be yeah. dead, or that like shit would be really bad. And you get there, and like she's got this thing through her, but otherwise she's pretty okay. I feel like the amount of time it took us to get to where she is in the story, she could have figured that shit out by then. Really, really lowered my assume with Beth in this moment. All right, that's how I felt when I got to yeah. Beth. I was like, how many fucking Marlena died, Jason, and lost cause, but like you could have figured this out on your own, love. But, but again, you know, I think what you know what we're trying to say is, I would gladly have Marlena back in place of Beth. Easily, like, easily, not um, worth it. But they they save Beth, they get her out of the building, and then um, they fight. Some, yeah, there's some amazing footage of the monster like kind of walking through buildings and getting nailed by missiles at this point. Yeah, because that because now they're trying the last run of missiles and things before they decided to level the entire city. Yeah. So that again, that, that ticking clock reminder, like, well, that doesn't seem to be working. The monster doesn't look dead, so they have to continue running to try to get back to these helicopters. Uh. They run into more little little monsters. Little yeah, there's fields. one little monster, and you know Beth is passed out. She's really missed most of this. She hasn't been watching TV like the TV's destroyed and everything. And so she, you know, when when they're up on the roof going back to the functional building, 
And she's like, well, what is that? And Huzz's like, I don't know, something. Something terrible. And uh, except he doesn't fuck up the delivery, and it's like it's hilarious, you because it because it is it's just something it's terrible. And, it's terrible. and while they're leaving, they're trying to get to the other side, and you can see Big Cloverfield. Well, yeah, well, Biggie C. Well, uh, so, like the, he says that initially when they see the big one, and then when they see the little guy in the hallway, yeah. and I think Rod buries an axe in it or something. Yeah, the fire and, axe. It, the yeah. fire axe, and she's like, "What was that?" And I was like, "I don't know, something else." Also terrible. Yeah, it's yeah like, it's because like, it doesn't matter yeah, at this it's point. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's everyone, perfect. We have acclimated to the fact that all of these things, and Beth yeah. and her little. Yeah, the predicament didn't know about this stuff. <laughs> you, she couldn't fucking you, reach the over. That's loud, Dominic. Dominic, you hate Beth, don't you? I don't know why. I just, I, like I didn't. I mean, I'm not a fan. I I'm really sort of thought that at that point in the story, when we found her, it would be like like rubble that everyone would have to like really, really right. laying on thick, and instead it's just kind of like, eh. <laughs> you know. So I don't know. Get it together. Um, they, they get it. They get out, and uh, I just realized I'm a little fuzzy on this part. Lily dies next. Well, Lily, no, Lily, no, Lily is the is, only person who lives. She's in a copter. Remember? Yeah, she 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 got to the chopper. Oh, that's right. You're totally right. Oh, so I mean, by oh, dude, I thought it was kind of okay. Yeah, that. So she only 24 hours ago. I'm very sorry, guys. I've watched so many things this week. Um, no, well, you watched Wes Craven's Cursed. I did like yesterday. I right? did. Yeah. yeah. So for uh, this, it's still so me. we're here for you, buddy. Yeah. If you um, need some time to pull uh, your life together, I've after watched that. some weird shit, y'all. Oh, but um, Joshua Jackson first. He Pacey gets, first he gets Joey. Now this. Now and, this. Anyways. Um, <laughs> a lot of a lot of weird Dawson's Creek tangents on this episode. Sorry about that. Uh, but yes, no, they get to the choppers, and the group is, I, I would say, somewhat arbitrarily split, but I think it was just to have, you gotta have some someone survive. Yeah. And, uh, so Lily Ford, uh, gets on the chopper, and they get her out of there, and it's like, that's the one sort of consolation prize of, like, something you can sort of pin your hat on and be like, well, okay, she she lived? She's gonna have maybe. a kind of life, maybe? Maybe. After this? So, uh, the, re- the rest of the three characters, HUD, still filming at this point, because now, like, this is... This, yeah. Someone needs to film all of this, yeah. you know? Like, he, this is no longer... It's some parts of the film it feels like a security blanket, but here at this point it's like no, this is. And, and, and he says yeah. that like people are going to want to know how it went down, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. And you buy it, you buy it beyond it just being the conceit of how we get to watch this movie. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like because some of the movies we found footage shit is just like who's that? Oh, that's just Lars. He's weird and uses a camera all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and he has a pretty good sense of timing of when to move it and who to have it on. The like, movie like where it breaks down the most, I think, is Chronicle, which is a good movie, and I like Chronicle very much. But there's like that side story where it's like the love interest is also like filming herself all the time for like a school project, it's just, and it's just like fuck. I read you. a lot of scripts in my free time, and sometimes I read a script that's a script for a found footage movie, and like the writers don't even try to figure out the conceit. They're just like. This character will have a camera the entire movie. We'll figure it out. Then ten pages and it's like, oh, he just really likes filming stuff. It's like, that's the best you fucking came up with? And you, you can make that work if the script is genius like Modern Family, which uses the found footage method, but Fuck. is not even trying to have it make any sense at all. Or Cannibal Holocaust. It's, to me, it's where there are professional between... filmmakers that get eaten by yeah, cannibals. Or Man Bites Dog or something. Yeah. Or, uh, or is it... Dog Bites Man, the French Not Man Bites Man Bites Dog. Yeah, Man Bites Dog. That was the serial killer, right? Yeah, the serial killer, yeah. 
Check that out, oh, guys. I think it's on Criterion. Um, or, but it's the difference between the UK version of The Office, where it's uh, it's explicitly stated that they're being filmed for a documentary, right. and the American Office, where they just cut testimonials and they don't bring up that shit for like seven years. Right. Um, just want to put that out there. But anyway, they uh, they, they get the ch- well the found footage thing. It started the the logic of it. Starts to not make any sense if it's if you're doing it for a TV show and the show lasts more than five episodes. Yeah, it's just absurd. Um, but uh, th- you know they get to that chopper and you get this really great one of the best aerial shots I think in the movie of, of the you know the sort of final trying to destroy the monster and it goes down. They're really, the best prolonged full body. Look yeah, that no chops, no cuts. You got and the you got the the. the Framed by the buildings too. really well, yeah. yeah. And, the and there's that moment the where it looks like it's like they've beaten it, and HUD is just like ecstatic, and so are, so yeah, are we, right. you know, because like we've watched this thing take lives, and we don't like monsters in general anyway, right? Yeah. You know, and not um, when they're like this. Yeah, there's no. I mean, Mothra's okay, and Varan okay. seems mostly harmless. Godzuki's pretty cool. Godzuki's a great guy. Um, but you know, totally little moment. Of course, it's not really dead. Uh, their helicopter crashes. Yeah, it jumps Somehow out of the, the main characters survive. Survive the helicopter this, crash. Yeah, that is maybe where it's the only. Over. Yeah. 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 But you know what? And point, the camera still works. It's but yeah. yeah. You've uh, just seen I mean, so much insane shit that, okay. And it was disciplined enough. And I want to say, like, this yeah. is the best look at the monster you get. And guess what? It's at the end of the movie. It's one of the last looks. And it actually like, makes sense from a storytelling standpoint. It's like, okay, you've earned it. And so, yeah. like,. And, and you have to pay like for that, it too. It's that money yeah. shot, and it's great. Yeah, and it, you it's, do... it's costly because HUD comes face to face with the monster and has to. It, this, he's got to film it. You know, he, yeah. he, he's filmed everything else. He knows he's about to die. Yeah. yeah. You know, although maybe he felt invincible in that moment because he just survived the helicopter crash. I Who guess. knows? <laughs> um, and that kind of sucks. You know, surviving yeah, a helicopter that's... crash with some people do not do. Right. The pilots couldn't do that. Well, well HUD, and... I think he's he's shocked because he, he pulls Rod out of the wreck, who is now the worst for wear. He takes off his belt, makes a tourniquet because Rod's like leg is cut up, and so it's Beth and and HUD now are sort of like able bodied, and then. HUD, you really get the sense that this is just happens, and, and HUD just has enough time to register that this thing is behind him, and he kind of turns around, looks up, and you get your best look at the monster, you know, its face uh, in, in the movie, and I think the fact that he doesn't run away, or he's just filming it, is that it's just, it's shock. It's yeah. just like, he's, he's, he's stunned, and why wouldn't you be, you know, it's like, it's, because it is, it's stunning. <laughs> and then it fucking murders him. It eats, yeah. it eats him, and you go into his mouth. Uh, also, I wanted to say that when the plane or when the helicopter is crashing, HUD is saying all this stuff. He's like apologizing to God and apologizing to Jesus, and he's like tries to like talk about his mom, which I always thought was really like really sort of personal, and also you know you don't see too many hardcore looks. I mean, we've all seen that scene a thousand times in movies before where, like, okay, characters are dying. It's like, oh, help me. But that seemed like one of the best ever because it was, like... Legit. 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 Yeah. Anybody help me. Right. I am so fucked at this point. Um, But, yeah, and then survives that, fine. Immediately gets eaten afterwards. You get that weird, (laughs) weird, weirdly haunting moment of, like, the camera looking at HUD's face. Yeah. Focusing, like, in yeah. and out. It's just kind of, like, terrifying. Kind of reminiscent, once again, of Cannibal Holocaust. Like, the last scene of, like, the found footage for that movie is, like, the 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 douchey, rapey director. Like, his head, like, 
next to the camera um, as it runs yes. out of film. Watch well, Hannibal, Cannibal Holocaust one time, and then, and then that's maybe, it. I'm sorry. Then try and get your appetite back. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly regain your but ability don't to, go eat. to a, Don't go to a CC's afterwards, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Good deals, but great, great deals, but a waste of money if you're going after Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, so this is a, a, great, a great Facebook event to get invited to. We're going to go see Cannibal Holocaust on 35mm, and then afterwards we're going to all go to CC's. When it comes to buffets, okay, CC's was delivering quality food at competitive prices, so I think it's still good, but... Like, not again, after Cannibal Holocaust. Not after Cannibal Holocaust, okay? Go to a Bob's Big Boy instead. Or much, much more appropriate... Right. Uh, so Bob the, Evans. The <laughs> final moments of the film uh, are are pretty pretty fucked up. It's, it's just Rob and Beth united at last, but not in a way that feels. They hide under the bridge that uh, Jack Nicholson first unleashes his wolf heightened wolf powers in the in the in film the, Wolf, the, directed the, by Mike Nichols. In, <laughs> in the classic James Spader film Wolf, okay. Uh, and it's this. I'm pretty sure it's the same bridge. Almost the same bridge. Almost I think there's also like 34 different Woody Allen movie scenes that happen yeah, in this bridge yeah. as well. Yeah, I think it was called like the Greystone Bridge. I should have wrote this down. Like, and apparently the name of that bridge was also a possible title for the movie. Yeah, I believe because so, Cloverfield yes. was one of the many working titles for they, the and film. They always wanted it to be called Cloverfield. But they had to keep changing the name. It was Slusho at one point. Internet. It mm-hmm. was Cheese. Just the word Cheese at one point. Cheese. Just to keep people. But, you know, J.J. Abrams always wanted to call it Cloverfield. Because okay. that was the last, like, the turn off, like, the sign. And when he was driving off the ho- highway was Cloverfield. Like, that. he would see that every day driving into work. Oh, okay. So, anyways, that's stuck with him. So you get Rob and Beth together and... Uh... They're past the last helicopter exit point. It's very clear that Operation Hammer... Yeah, you hear the air raid sirens. It's hammer time. You hear hear the dialogue in the background when they're in the helicopter that, like, when hammer down is a go, the sirens will blast, like, get out, you know. Yeah, so the sirens are going. That um, line of dialogue recorded by producer Brian Burke. Continue. (laughs) Thank you. So, now it's just... The the end basically like they yeah. at this point there's a, Rob takes the camera from HUD because someone has to finish what HUD started and starts talking directly into it and is basically saying you know this is what's happened we don't know what it is if you're watching this you know you know more than we do which is true to the people watching the footage in the movie but not true to us the audience because we only know what they know anyway. Um, but that makes sense because he's not talking he's to the audience. audience. He's talking, talking to, to the, yeah. I know. I just wanted to, just yeah. that thought hit my mind at that time. And uh, as he's doing this, he's, he's listing off the people that have died. You know, it's this very like you know, Rob knows they're they're gonna die. I think at this moment, and he says something where he says, "So we're gonna wait here for help." And like Beth sort of repeats it, like, "Yeah, we're gonna wait here for." Like they both are sort of that's the plan. That's what we're gonna do. But we also sort of know that there's not help coming. Help is going to be, you yeah. know, the, the end of all things. So It's the Jeanette Goldstein laying down on her bed in Titanic, telling your kids, it'll all be over soon as the water rises yeah. up. And it's or so in Godzilla, when uh, the woman is holding her children, saying, we'll be with daddy soon. Yeah, Watch more app. Thank you, Nathan. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, what? How the fuck do you remember that actress's name from Titanic? That's weird. Because <laughs> she fucking played Vasquez in James Cameron's Aliens, okay? Oh, yeah. That makes way more sense. I didn't realize that. I've seen Titanic once. 
on VHS. That's a mistake. Across Scott. Oh, was it one of those double tapes? The double, di- yeah. the double tapes, yeah. So, I know Billy Zane's in it, you dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the only but, Zane man in an insane world. <laughs> I hate you. Um, know it, Dominic. Know it. But let it out. Let it out. <laughs> I fucking hate Titanic. Anyway, uh, it's, this, it's a really powerful moment because, again, this is sort of the end of their love story. You yeah. know, that's kind of what... That's that's what's really happening here. We're not getting closure to this monster, but we're getting closure to the sweet little bedroom scene we saw when we met Rob and Beth at the beginning of the film. And that closure is happening under a bridge covered in rubble where they're both going to die. Right. Um, and that sucks. Uh, but it, it, you but know, it's also beautiful. And it's beautiful. Because and, and, the and, and, last and thing they it. say is, I love you. And he's, I love you, Beth. And, and that's, uh, and also, I mean, storyline-wise, it's probably the first time they've ever said that to each other yes, in that way. Yeah. And it's really cool. It's like, it's like what you want at the end of romantic comedy to happen, except that then everyone dies. Yeah. Right. So it's, I mean, in some people, it's exactly what they want in romantic comedy. Um, but again, uh, Rob Only if Catherine Heigl is involved. God. Oh my God. <laughs> Fuck Catherine Heigl. Um, <laughs> she is just the worst. I know that has nothing to do with Cloverfield guys, but she is the worst. Again, Matt Reeves co-wrote Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, <laughs> co-starring Catherine Heigl. It oh, all man. comes full circle. You can't escape the Heigl. She's Continue. the worst. Um, but Rob turns the camera on to Beth to sort of also deliver her little like last moments. And it's it's a cool mirror, I guess, of um, the moments earlier in the film where they're getting those testimonials from everybody. And they're getting these testimonials for sort of like, you're going to Japan and we'll have to only talk to you via Skype. Not, here's testimonial because we're all going to die and this is our last sort of remaining artifact or whatever. I think it's really kind of haunting. Yeah. Uh, and then the, then the genius of the story structure, it cuts back to them, them on Coney Island. On Coney Island. The tape that, that, that was being taped over. And, and get, having the ending line, it, or this is like, this is going to be a beautiful day or this is, this is a beautiful yeah. day, which parallels the beginning yeah. where it says almost the same thing. Yeah. It is so. It's a beautiful little ending, man. It's cool. And then you know we don't get an extra fucking scene explaining the monster or anything like that. Yeah, the, isn't the psycho, the psycho Lieutenant Trank no, from West Side explains. Michael Caine doesn't come minutes. out. Uh, <laughs> right. It's per- it's what movie does Michael Caine do then? What? Oh no, never mind. I'm sorry. If Michael, if Michael should have been Michael Caine, what you have to say? The monster as as Slasher came out in the with area formerly known as area. Okay. There are three yeah. parts. That's <laughs> right. But uh, yeah. that's enough, Michael King. That's, <laughs> sorry, never heard of Michael King. But um, impression retired. <laughs> but that's it. You know, uh, that's the end of the story. And it, it, again, it, it does feel like uh, a sweet, a sort of bittersweet romantic comedy being put through a fucking meat grinder with this terrifying ex- exploration of of. The breakdown of society Cthulhu, and all of our fears, Godzilla, and this Lovecraft, Stephen King's Kaiju thing, and and it, and it still does end on something of a sweet note. Yeah. I mean, everyone's dead. That sucks, but like, but it's if you're good, gonna yeah. die in under a bridge because a, the military can't kill a monster, an unknowable uh, sort of corporeal version of pure evil and, and chaos. If that's going to happen to you, you might as well do it with the one you love, you know? Well, yeah, which the true, love to, to the each true other message of this film is if you're single, you're fucked. Except, wait, oh no, actually no. I'm wrong. Lily survives. 
And she so, is yeah, single. She's newly she's single. Newly, newly single. single. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lil, as soon as Marlena, this is a fascinating read you've got here, Nathan, because this really opens up, and I'm afraid we're going to have to unpack this right now, <laughs> starting right now. So Marlena, the second she starts warming up to HUD, death. Uh, uh, you know, Jason, and, the minute he actually stops and turns around, well, he was going to die anyway. Jason fucks the theory up. That's true. Your theory But he didn't marry her. Date. Oh, wait. Oh uh, yeah, we're at a standstill. Yeah, it's here. okay. Ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> Just ignore me. Tell the best theories work out. Uh, no, but there there is a, there is a real sense that there is comfort uh, in humanity. You know what I mean? In, in closeness and in interpersonal relationships and things like that. And uh, a lot of disaster movies. Uh, monster movies and things go for that. They want you to feel like, yeah, there's always those little moments where I don't know, like the, you know, the grandma walking in the lava and Dante's uh, peak, <laughs> you know, or um, <laughs> I don't know why that's the first thing that came to my mind, but like, or, or Zodiac will walk into the lava and say volcano. <laughs> I just I don't know what that actor's name is, so I just yeah. call him Zodiac. <laughs> Probably the Zodiac, Zodiac killer. killer. Yeah. Oh wait, Zodiac. the dude from uh, Fargo. <clears throat> yeah. Oh the yeah, husband. the husband from Fargo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When the husband from Fargo does the same thing in Volcano, a far superior film to Dante's Peak. That um, is not correct. Ever. That is totally correct. Dante's Peak is oh, can you, changing wait, no, no, everything can you, right now. Can you ask me? Can you answer me one question? Which of those two films has Tommy Lee Jones in it? Not Dante's Peak. Anyway, uh, monster movies and disaster movies—they they want you to believe this false sense of shared humanity and love and familial bonds and all type of shit, but they always feel so fake. And ham-fisted, and you don't—you never buy it. You just know it's a sweet, touching moment before someone dies. And here in Cloverfield, that sweet, touching moment you get before they die is legitimately sweet and touching. It yeah. legitimately feels effective, and you really, really buy it. Which is an incredible feat, because ultimately, I don't actually give that much of a shit about Robin Beth individually. I don't like those actors very much. I thought they were like pretty decent, but not yeah. great. Uh, they were the two least interesting characters in the movie, mm-hmm. but it functions because neither one of them is so distinct that you can't place yourself onto them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you you want... Uh, you don't want to die alone, or you don't want to die like that. But no one wants to die alone. You no, want to die no with the person you die love. Alone. Right? And that's <laughs> right. what they get. That's a happy ending for a movie like this. Yeah. A real happy ending is you get on the fucking chopper, you go home, and then they interview you about what happened later, and you survive, and you and then show up in sequels. But here, a much more realistic happy ending is that he does make it to Beth, and he does save her from her... Albeit not that devastating <laughs> apartment trap. More inconvenient. Uh, but Whoops. and then he gets her, and you know, and they get that moment that he never had the balls to do in regular everyday life, non-monster life. In yeah. non-monster life, Rob goes to Japan. Maybe he texts her occasionally, or, or, or sends her messages on Facebook. Maybe he Blocks runs into her on Facebook. Maybe he pokes her on Facebook. Maybe he pokes her on Facebook. <laughs> this is probably still the era where poking was still happening. I mean, I guess poking has happened a lot of places, but. My, uh, aunt, my aunt still pokes me. That's that's something you have to work with. I've been poked one of us. many times at the sauna. <laughs> but in, 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 in an alternate version of that story, maybe they don't end up making it work, and that's just that. But here, in a world where everything else, all of our other modern contrivances fall away, they do. They For a brief, you know, shining moment. Yeah. Pretty yeah. beautiful, no, I think. It is a beautiful film. It is... Really well done. Um, 
don't really regret not seeing it back in 08, but I yeah, am glad Juno, I Juno, right? Yeah, yeah I had Juno. I had Juno and The Orphanage and Harold and Kumar too. Ukulele uh, Well, again, Juno is more 07, so you can love Juno and Cloverfield. Okay. If you have to pick one, yeah. though, I think. Um, but yeah, but it is a well-made film, and I totally give it, you know, uh, I guess you can't see my thumbs, so I guess uh, I, I give it uh, approval. Uh, Definite approval. Definite approval. And of course, uh, we're about to get a sort of sequel coming yeah. up too, which we didn't talk about earlier. And it looks nothing like Cloverfield, which is good. Which, and the reason is because this sequel, 10 Cloverfield Lane, was not in any way conceived as a Cloverfield sequel. This is a separate movie mm-hmm. that was being made by another studio production house or whatever that, that, that closed up. And the movie was finished and completed and ready to be released and had nowhere to be released too. And J.J. Abrams saw it and was like, you know, if we rewrite a couple of things and reshoot some stuff, we can make this a Cloverfield sequel and release it that way. And he brought in Damien Chazelle, the writer-director of Whiplash, to help him do it. And they rewrote the movie and did some reshoots and stuff. And they have made it a movie that takes place clearly in the Cloverfield universe or at least is similar so in 2000. Right. So we're saying 2060... Uh, uh, P.C., post-Cloverfield. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, you know, depending on if there is significant kaiju content in 10 Cloverfield Lane, I am fully comfortable with making it into another episode of the show. But at this point, we don't know that. So let's just go ahead and talk about it, albeit, you know, in a truncated form right now. If it is taking place... Because uh, the trailers we've seen, okay, it's mostly a bunker Twilight Zone situation where it's John Goodman, it's uh, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Winstead, and some rando, some rando, some rando, and uh, Marlon Rando, <laughs> and it, it appears as though uh, John Goodman has rescued uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead from a car accident and taken her into. A, and put her in his bunker, and they're in the bunker for much of what the two trailers that we have seen. Yeah. Okay, and if this takes place into like May twenty second, two thousand eight or two thousand seven, whenever Cloverfield took place, okay, I mean you could, you know, that makes sense. Or like a maybe a year in there, I'm fully on board with that, and that's something they could do. Uh, I think you do that every few years, do yeah, a sort yeah. of odd take on what happened yeah. in that movie. I'm 100% and as long okay as with each that. film looks sense. a little different, because like, yeah, Cloverfield is genius, but if they tried to copy the same it would, it would, style, it would be, it would hack. be, yeah. be a hack job. You know, all of a this sudden. is a fa- fascinating way to do sequels, sort of the way the Halloween franchise could have gone. Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, things the way John different. Carpenter wanted it to go, but then in Halloween 3, people are like, well, where's Michael Myers? I don't know what's happened. It's so like, all right, just bring him back in part 4, even though Loomis clearly shot out both of his eyes, and he burned to death and exploded at the end of Halloween 2. Not a Halloween podcast, sorry, tangent, but look, okay, also it would be very cool if the Cloverfield monster, because this does not look like New York. 10 Cloverfield Lane looks like it's in rural someplace. So like, it would be awesome if those things that fell off of the Cloverfield monster have like, it's like a plague. That would be yeah, super fantastic. Like, and, and what we saw in Cloverfield was really only the tip of the iceberg as to how the 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 level of uh, Fuck. or the situation is. Or this is Lovecraftian, and like you said, Dom, like Elder Gods, they have now come to reclaim the earth. It's about and, fucking time, yeah. <laughs> 
So they, again, they could do a better job, I'm sure. So uh, you've, you've been listening to our speculation based on the two trailers and what we know about Ten Cloverfield Lane, and uh, and that's coming out. And uh, this is uh, sort of late February 2016 when we're recording this, so that's coming out in like two weeks. Um, so uh, definitely, uh, you know, we'll be standing by for that. Plus, John Goodman's in it, so I yeah. mean, we'll, you have to watch that. Um, but back to Cloverfield, well-made, sort of redacting and redundant now that they tried to make a sequel for basically ever since. And, and it, I mean, they abandoned plans in earnest in like 2011 when it had been like, you know, th- three or four years. And it's like, okay, it's not happening. But, um, you know, well-viewed, I think, again, once you can push the initial conversation back that, past that roadblock of... The shaky cam thing made me nauseous. It's like, okay, you know, there's other things happening with this movie. Can we talk about those? Yeah. Um, so, solid flick. And again, Matt Reeves has gone on to do some very interesting things. Um, I'm looking at you, cannon shot on top of the tank from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Rise. Um, it's like Rise, Rise. Of the Apes. Exactly. Don's little Franco. It's the, the I haven't he, seen either film. He straps the camera to the gun turret of the tank and it's like a really cool shot. Mm. Anyways, um <clears throat> enough about that. Uh so uh final thoughts on, on Cloverfield gang or just uh what's said has been said. Good film. Yeah, impressive Check film. It out. Good fucking uh, film. Holds up. Holds up. Maybe better than they did back in 08 for me. And you can uh, eat at CC's Pizza yeah. afterwards. afterwards. Totally a lot fine. of free Flame advertising for CC's Pizza, but I can't besmirch that, again, uh, you're getting a good value there. A lot of you're pizza pay- for your buck. You're paying a fair price. And, look, helpful, friendly staff, okay? I'm not sure if it's going to be available where everyone is, is listening to, but that's on you, you know? Flights are cheap. Say you're listening to this in Australia, okay? It's only a 17-hour flight to, you know, to California. And there may be one out there. We don't know. I haven't taken the time to find out. So, you've been listening to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. And uh, some just some quick uh, business. Uh, for As far as the show is concerned, I wanted to personally thank everybody who came out to uh, our, our hosting of Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 in Washington, D.C., our sort of our live show we did. Which was truly the best use of found footage uh, since Cloverfield, I'd say. You did a spectacular job oh, yes. putting that Thank together. You. Thank you very much. It was sort of an interactive mm-hmm. experience, and I uh, think Blue Man Group with less blue paint, I mm-hmm. guess. And uh, or more of akin to like the found footage festival uh, type type setup, um, but very cool and um, a lot of fun and and you know we did uh, I think better than expected yeah. so uh, there's a chance we may do it again uh, possibly with you know another Godzilla film so we'll see, we'll keep you posted on the location and date of that if it does in fact occur my name is michael kelly uh and i'm nathan bear yes indeed uh i'm dominic griffin dominic griffin dom thank you real nice (laughs) thank you so much for coming in today sir we Uh, really i love i love uh 
Be honest, uh, if you have anyone else come on for a third time, you have to bring it back for a fourth time. I'm not going to have to keep this going. <laughs> and, you know, this is something I've stopped asking uh, our, our guest hosts because they never have anything to say anyways. But do you have anything to plug? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, plug stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I write on the internet a lot, obviously, um, uh, I, at different places now. I've tried to diversify a little bit. Um so if you want to just know what I'm doing at any given time, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle on Twitter is at uh, Captain underscore Fuck. Okay. Uh, the word Fuck that that is that's spelled properly. That's a F U C and a K, correct? So all four of those letters, oh. yes, in in, in sequence. Um, and that's usually where I like share like the stuff I read and, and things like that, or other podcasts that I show up on, or, or what have you. So uh, that's where I'm at on the internet. Awesome. And to be clear, you've been on several other podcasts, too. I've so. been on, like, three other podcasts. Okay. So, But you're my favorite. Yeah. That's what's important. I want you to know that. I don't want you to think that I'm just blowing smoke. No, no, no. You it's good. You, you bring, you know, thank you for, uh, look, we're not paying you. So this, this is, is very it, true. That's I on, that on record. It's on you to show up here, buddy. <laughs> uh, that's fine. Anyways, so... Uh, You've been listening to the Godzilla Pod War Hour. Our Twitter handle as is uh, Michael Kelly at Godzilla Pod War, or we're on Facebook under the uh, Godzilla Pod War Hour. Um, you know, we're on iTunes. Every every episode is on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to us for free. And here's what you can do: if you like a particular episode, you can rate it, or you can rate the show and comment on it, and uh, you know, say things to us. Can you keep the lines of communication open? We we're interested in what you have to say, and we want to hear it. So do that. Um, we're also on Tumblr, but I believe Tumblr has been consumed by the dark web at this point. So I don't I think that has been that whole situation has resolved itself. So um Yeah. Um for Dominic Griffin and Nathan Allen Bear, uh and Spike McKelly saying people are gonna wanna know how it went down. Oh, and Michael uh Giacchino did, yeah. did the one piece of music over the credits and it's called Oh Fan Fucking Test. And it's called yeah. it's called Roar. Yeah. And it's clearly an homage to Akira Fukube. I wonder what it sounds like.